Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. I'm Lord Jones, here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Amber Theo Harris, who covers the NFL for Sirius XM, as well as Westwood One, making her debut on the show. We will get Amber's thoughts on what's going on with Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield, as well as going around the rest of the National Football League when Amber Field Harris joins us coming up in just a little while from right now. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group, as well as our normal segments, our Big 12 Breakdown, our draft this week. We're going to do the ESPN draft, and we will also have our Tom Fullery Story of the Week at the end of the show as well. Coach Bo is here with me for the entirety of the show today and he joins me right now Bo we are off a fresh weekend on the road I was in Nashville you were in Chicago as yeah. we we took the summer of Jones two different places essentially this weekend <laughs> I hope you had a good time there at AEW I did so my you know I took my son my son for his birthday wanted to go he's his 20th birthday he wanted to go to AEW's Forbidden Door pay-per-view so I got tickets and we went, and we had a really good time. It was a good getaway weekend, just me and him, father, son. You don't get to do very many of those, and it was a really great time. So, yeah. Awesome. Uh, AEW, are you converted now, or have you moved on from WWE? Right. Are you all in on AEW? I, I'm not all in, but I do like it better right now. Just the content's better right now. I. I still think like the best two or three wrestlers there are, are are all in WWE. Like I still think Roman Reigns is the best thing going and a couple others that I really like, but AEW's got a better show from beginning to end. It feels a little corny to me. Like, you know, they, they promote it and it says CM Punk is all elite. What does that mean? Because they're so it's all elite wrestling is what AEW stands for. So now if you're in AEW, you're all elite. And so like they just got the uh they they debuted a new guy this weekend. It was the old Cesaro, if you remember him from WWE. Yeah. He's now back to his old name and he premiered at the pay-per-view this past weekend. And he's now all elite. And he yes, it says that Claudio Castagnoli is now all elite. Yes. Man, I'm glad you had a good time. I was in Nashville. Bo, I survived back-to-back nights on Broadway somehow. Oof. I'm proud of you. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, did you uh, – I mean, did all hell not break loose? I mean, uh, you know, what, what happened? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, there were a lot of baddies out there. I'll put it that way. <laughs> I, I promise you this much, there was no simping. I said going into the weekend, no simping. No I was not going to be a simp, and I was not a simp. I just chased the baddies. We had a great time. Uh, I met some uh, some cool people out there. I met uh, Jay Cutler at the racetrack. Is he as uninteresting in person as he looks like he is? Yes. In fact, I don't know if you saw my Instagram post. I posted a picture, and I said, Jay Cutler is ecstatic to be joining the Summer of Jones. Yes, I did see that, and he had a look on his face (laughs) – like he had just smelled a really bad fart. He looked like he wanted to be anywhere else except there in that moment. Yes. He did. And that's okay. And I don't know if um I don't know if he was wrong, but you know. <laughs> 
I'm messing with you. I um um I I don't know. He's never he's been someone that because I had heard a couple of years ago there was people talking to him about being like a play-by-play or a, an analyst. And I was yeah, like, well, he maybe still he wants has to. a personality, but he looks like he is devoid of any devoid of any personality whatsoever. He's got a sneaky good personality. Does he? I okay. think I like Jay Cutler, the post football player more than I did the actual football player, more than the guy that quit on his team in the NFC Championship, Jay Cutler. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I met him. That. Also met uh, Gary Lavox from uh, Rascal Flats. He was out Look, there. I saw that, yeah. Uh, very cool guy. Uh, I had a good time. The race uh, took a little while. We had about two different rain delays. I was there pretty much all night and flew out the next day. But nonetheless, uh, good time there in uh, Nashville and – this week uh, on a little bye week on the uh, Summer of Jones of the 4th of July. We're staying here in Dallas. And yeah. then next week we bring the Summer of Jones to you, Bo. I will be in Lawrence and in Kansas in City here in about a week. So what are you doing for 4th of July? Do you have any plans? Uh, I have to work. <laughs> oh, wow. During the day. But I'm planning to go out at night. You better believe yeah. it. Yeah. No simping, though. No, no simping. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just like saying that. <laughs> Was P Money simping in Chicago? No, I got to tell you. So, you know, P's only 20, right? right. So we get in. We, we drove up Saturday. The show was Sunday. We drove up Saturday. And uh, he's tired. He stayed up the whole trip. He's like, he didn't, he didn't fall asleep in the car, which he usually does. And he says, well, we get there. We're going to go get some pizza. You know, because you got to hit the Chicago pizza place, you know? Right. And he says, um, well, why don't we just order pizza and stay here in the hotel? Yeah. And I was like, no, look. Please place someone to go to. I showed him to the window. I was like, it is literally right there. It is a block and a half away. Yeah. I was like, all right. So we walk down. We get there. We get seated. Get right in and seated. And, you know, it takes a while to get your pizza in those places. Lumal, move the Lumal Naughty. It takes 30 minutes to get your pizza. Yeah, it's not quick. Order some wings. I get a pitcher of beer. And they didn't ID pay. Ooh. So we let the we let the 20-year-old drink. And... He, once he could have a beer, he was like, all right, I'm good. And he was, <laughs> he was all for it. So <laughs> I like it. That's great. Yeah. So I'm glad he, P Money had a good time. Yeah. We snuck him a couple of beers here and there at the AEW show as well, just to make sure he was good and, and happy. Now, I'll tell you this much, Bo. One story out of Nashville. I don't think you're going to be surprised by this one bet. While I was there, I was actually supposed to interview Johnny Manziel. He was sponsored, his tequila company was sponsoring one of the race cars. And I had known the guy that put together the sponsorship. And he said, uh, how about you interview him while we're out here? I'm like, okay, sure. I'll be out there anyway, might as well. Uh, To the shock of, I think, no one. Johnny did not make the trip to Nashville because the night before he got too drunk and passed out and missed his flight the next day. I can see that. <laughs> I can see that. I dare you. I double dog dare you to book Johnny Manziel on the Coach Bono show. Oh, could you imagine? <laughs> I'd be like, look, first off, I want to thank you for beating Alabama. <laughs> but secondly, before <laughs> go in on the guy <laughs> you know the guy should have been i don't know just 
I was hoping to get to party with Johnny on Broadway. Could you imagine well, see, what that would have been like? Yeah. See, you, you ever seen the movie? There's a, there's a movie. It's called uh, A Brock's Tale. Okay. In A Brock's Tale, um, one of the characters played by Chas Palminteri is telling this young kid, there is nothing worse than wasted talent. And when I hear that line, I think of Johnny Manziel. The talent wasn't the issue. There's nothing. No, what I mean is, right? He wasted the talent. That's he what I mean. It. That's I'm agreeing with you. I'm saying yeah, he had the talent. It was yeah, it was the work. He, he wasted talent, and that's so annoying because he could have been he he could have been a superstar. At I mean, at just such a high level. One of these days, Bo, in our draft segments, we ought to draft like athletes past or present we'd want to party with i think johnny menzel would be one of the first picks yeah johnny menzel the white gooden gronk gronk would be very high on the list gronk might be the number one overall um i bet you'd want to party with oj no you know (laughs) i i i would ask oj some serious questions (laughs) I'd get OJ in a bit. <laughs> I'd just get him liquored up and be like, look, I know you killed him. Why don't you just tell me the truth? I don't have a recorder in my pocket. <laughs> she deserved it, OJ. She was she was sipping on you. <laughs> <laughs> that's so bad, but that's so good. Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, other athletes. I bet that those old USC teams with like Matt Leinert. Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush. Yeah, I think especially Matt Leinert because he had everyone chasing him. Um, yeah, that would be a good one. God, I'm trying to think of others to party with. Man, I, I've heard some stories about some people. Right. You know who would be the current one that I'd want to go party with who's now not playing anymore? Pat McAfee. Yes. Pat I think that would be my good. first round pick. I think Pat McAfee would be a blast. I think The Rock would be great to party with. Yes, but he probably goes to bed early because he gets up at like four in the morning to go work Does out. Does he? Ugh. Yeah, he gets up at like 4 a.m. every day to work out. I will say when it comes to athletes and, and partying, I don't know if it necessarily qualifies as partying, but at the race this past weekend, uh, Bo, during one of the rain delays, I was hanging out in a VIP area, and Denny Hamlin, who was in the race, took off his fire suit, and he was hanging out with us while we were drinking in the VIP area. <laughs> <laughs> and so, on top of that, too, Denny, like he was, I believe he was running in first when they called the caution and brought everybody down and delayed the race. And he comes and hangs out with us. And then, what do you know, they call the drivers back to their cars, and he's still there hanging out with us. And he's like, oh, I, I got to go get dressed. I got to go get back at the racetrack. Like, we, he almost got carried away with hanging out with us that he could have missed the rest of the race. Would that have been something? <laughs> that would be great. It would have been the reason he lost the race. And you'd have been like, he would, he'd have been like, well, you know, I was partying with Tyler Jones and just right. had to keep it moving, you know. Right. <laughs> Don't want to drink and drive, you know. Yeah. yeah. No, J- Denny was not drinking. No, he was fine. You, but you know yeah. what? 
I came up with it. I remember because I've actually partied with this person before. Okay. You know who'd be a top pick in that draft? Who would be? Ric Flair. Ooh. I have gone out and drank with Ric Flair before. Really? Yes. And it's wild. It's a wild experience. It's one of the wildest experiences of my life. I did get to go to a NASCAR driver's birthday party this weekend. Natalie Decker, uh, she's 25. uh, And you'll like this, Bo. They rented out the top floor at the Johnny Cash Bar on Broadway. Okay. We had live music and drinks and food. I mean, that was uh, that, that was a nice event. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, that was one of the better birthday parties I've been to. <laughs> that would be awesome. Right? It was a good time. You know, Bo, we we put into discussing the show today, but I'm glad that we have something to talk about because now we've hit that point in the year where I literally said to myself before the show, "Oh crap, we're in the slow point of the year now." I mean, yeah. like officially, officially we are. You have, you know, the NBA offseason is in gear. You know, we just finished the draft, got free agency coming up, trades are going on, but that only lasts really for a couple of weeks. And then we're just dead until training camp for a good, you know, month, month and a yeah. half here. Um, I think I need a vacation here pretty soon. I mean, like, this is, uh, this is when things about to get slow. Yeah, you know, all we've got right now is baseball. Yeah. Only live sports we got right now is baseball. And so it's, I mean, I guess you could say NASCAR and golf, but I mean, of the major team sports, we've got baseball. And it's like, okay, well, so we don't have, a, and we don't have a lot of drama with football because we're not in camp yet. No one's hurt. No one's holding out, stuff like that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you're right. This is the slowest time of the year. And it's going to be for the next, what, six weeks? Yeah. So we get training camp and then college football right after and then the NFL starts. And we do have some NBA free agency, but it's not a huge free agency this year. No, it's it's kind it of really boring. Isn't. I mean, the best players since Kyrie Irving ended up opting in, um, you know, James Harden's a free agent, but it's expected that he comes back to Philly, that he's opting out to work out his deal. Yeah. Or a sign and trade. Yeah. Right. Of true free agents, the best player is what Jalen Brunson? Um Bradley Beal, maybe, because he opted out. I mean, didn't opt in, but I mean, yeah. So I mean it's yeah, I mean, that's what we're talking about. It's like Jalen Brunson and Bradley Beal, and it's not a big, I big mean, name. Jalen Brunson might, and I might be kind saying this, he might be a top 10 point guard. Yeah. Let's see something here. Um, yeah, I think when I was, cause I did a segment for my podcast that came out yesterday and we were talking about it. Um, the biggest three free agents that we had were Jalen Brunson, Zach Levine and Bradley Beal. Yeah. Yeah. And With a couple of restricted free agents possible. In Brunson's case, doesn't it also go back to his playoff performance in particular what he did in that first round that 40 point game he had when Luca was out I mean if he doesn't do that I don't think that Brunson's getting near the love he'd be getting right now I agree yeah I agree yeah it's it's a weird time I mean it's uh this free agency period you know I, I think there was so much hype in 
a couple weeks ago of, okay, what's going to happen with Kyrie and Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons? Could LeBron be on the move? You know, all these different things. And now I I don't see anybody, you know, a a championship for this year is not going to be won based on moves made in this free agency period. Oh, I agree. Totally. The only way a championship's getting won because of a move now is if the Kyrie thing happens and he does get traded, if there's a sign and trade, and then Durant pulls that thing of saying, hey, I don't want to be here. And one of those teams that's close went and got Durant. But that's the only way I see any of the players that's out there switching teams and bringing someone closer to a championship. And I'm not even sure that Kevin Durant is that. You know, this Kyrie and Kevin Durant thing has been such a disaster of an experiment Mm -hmm. uh, of how that's gone and, you know, trying it with James Harden and they still haven't gotten a game yet from Ben Simmons and all this. Um, What's real funny to me about that, Bo, is that each of them had won titles previously in other places but felt the need to get together to prove something. Yeah. What have they proven at this point? That they need help to win a championship? That they can't eat a team here? I mean, everything that's gone wrong for that situation, this is one of the biggest failures I've ever seen as far as putting together a super team. I mean, they they haven't even been close yet. Yeah, so here's my my thinking on it. So what I think it is is – Kevin Durant wants so bad to be LeBron James. And what LeBron got all these last few years is he's also been the general manager of his team. Now, it hasn't worked perfectly. It's worked okay a couple times, but he has not, you know, stacked up championship on championship. But Durant got kind of that same authority from the Nets. And so he's like, well, let me get my own people in here. And and it was – Harden and Kyrie and it just didn't work and a lot of that is you had Durant's durability you know he got hurt had the Achilles injury he's always been banged up he's only averaged like 30 games a year for the last three seasons you had all Kyrie stuff with the COVID stuff this past year and the year before and you know he's only averaged like 35 games a season in those three years they trade Harden for Simmons it I saw um, it was God. I'm, I'm, th- I'm slipping on names here now. Um, Kendrick Perkins was on ESPN. He was talking on his podcast about his relationship with Kevin Durant, and he was saying that when he played with Durant and Westbrook in Oklahoma City, that he had to get between them and get them on the same page that they didn't talk. That, like, Durant is not a good teammate. He's a guy who wants to – he shows up with the team on the plane, but then as soon as he gets to the out-of-town games, all of his homies show up on a different flight, and that's who he goes off with. He doesn't go with his teammates. He's not a good team guy. And I think that's a big part of it because when you've got no Kyrie because of COVID stuff, you've got – you know, James Harden carrying an extra load that he really can't carry. You need Kevin Durant to be Kevin Durant. So you need him to be the best that he can be, and he's just not that. Right. I mean, here's the deal. And 
I think even a couple years ago, this would have been laughable to say, but just over time, it's proven to be true that you can't build a team around Kevin Durant. He cannot be the leader of your franchise. You I know, agree. Yes, I, I fully accept that when he was at Golden State, he was the best player. He was better than he, Steph Curry at that Yes, time. but he was never – it was never his team. Never. That was still Steph's team. That was, he was still, still the Steph's team. He was still the face of that franchise. Absolutely. It was very similar to – in Miami, when LeBron came to town, that was still Dwayne Wade's team. That was still yes. his organization. Yes. And you look at the time in Oklahoma City, the number one person to blame for why they didn't go any further, why they only went to the finals once, was Kevin Durant. Absolutely. And the fact that he and Russell Westbrook didn't mesh and all that still falls on Kevin Durant. And now you look at this situation in Brooklyn, and I know that Kyrie's been a head case and that he's caused problems. But then did not work with James Harden. To want Ben Simmons and Ben can't play on the floor. I mean, just at the end of the day, you cannot build a team around Kevin Durant as your superstar and expect to win. I, I, I think, Bo, the clock is ticking on this Brooklyn thing. Like, oh, yeah. they might. I think, the, I think the clock is out. I think they're going to start the season together. I think they will. Do you? But. When it comes to the trade deadline, the the next move, whatever it may be, Kevin Durant, if he wants to win a championship, uh, he's going to have to humble himself a bit and be uh, the number two or, or not the leader of the next team. And, yeah. and, and he is almost as good as any player in the world, but he cannot lead a, a team and he cannot be the face of your organization. Absolutely. I 100% agree. And I, I did a segment about this. There has never part. been a softer player in this league than Kevin Durant. I have said that I think he's the most overrated basketball player in the history of the league. Yeah. I, the guys, you know, he's seven foot. He can't play with his back to the basket. He's an incredible shooter. He does a lot of great things. But the issue with Kevin Durant is that, again, he doesn't lead a team. He cannot lead a team. And if you're going to be that talented, there's no questioning the talent. I'm not saying he's not a talented man at all because he's absolutely talented. But he has never been the leader of a team, even when he's been the best player. And he's been the best player in a league before. He's won the MVP and could have won it a couple times. But even when he was the best player on his team, he wasn't the most important player on his team. Right. I'm not sure he's – ever been the most important player on his team right um what i would say bo one thing i would i would point to on all these factors with with kevin durant here is that you know kevin durant can be your your number two right i mean you can win with kevin durant like that but I don't see – I think there's too much of an ego problem for Kevin Durant. It looked like even when they won those titles at Golden State that he was miserable, that he was jealous of Steph. And I 100% agree. In Oklahoma City, the rift between him and Russ and what followed after that, now seeing him do this in Brooklyn where he tried to be the guy and it's just simply not working and they're not making any progress here um, – I don't see it getting any better. I don't see 
KD humbling himself and saying, yeah, I can't be that guy. I think that he's only going to dig himself in a deeper hole. If he leaves Brooklyn, it's not to go back to Golden State and play with Steph. It's not to go play with LeBron and the Lakers. He tried to do this again in another city and fail again. Yes. Yeah, if he doesn't stay with the Nets, he's going to go somewhere else and, and mess up their franchise. There is no way I would trade for that guy. I wouldn't trade for Kyrie either. Like, I know the Lakers are trying to trade Westbrook and get Kyrie. That's a huge mistake. I don't think Westbrook's worth having either right now. I just think he's he's shot and he can't shoot anymore and, right. and just not a good fit anymore. But he's not going to hurt you. Kyrie's so, not going to want to play. So one idea that's been brought up is would Boston give up Tatum and Brown for Kevin Durant, and I would say hell no, no, absolutely not. I don't even and Kevin know Durant if I would wouldn't trade, last in Boston. I don't even know if I would trade Tatum for Durant straight up right now. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. And I and and if I were Boston, Kevin Durant's the last guy I'd bring into town because you think he can't handle pressure in with the Nets. He can't handle pressure in Oklahoma City. You think he's going to handle pressure in Boston? I mean, come on. There's no chance I would make that trade. And I wouldn't want him on the Celtics if I were the Celtics. I mean, he, he would be a disaster. It would be an unmitigated disaster to have Kevin Durant play in Boston. Uh, some moves have already been made. The uh, Hawks get uh, Murray from the Spurs. They pair him up with Trey Young in that backcourt. Starting with the Hawks' perspective here, Bo, obviously it's a big signing. You bring in an all-star like Murray, but I don't know about the combination of him and Trey Young together. Both those guys, I don't know if that's necessarily going to work. It's a big signing. It's a big deal, big-time player they're getting here, but I I don't know about the fit with Trey Young here. Yeah, I I don't know. It's one of those you've got to see how these guys mesh. Um, Atlanta, I like Trey Young. I like Trey Young a lot. And they get they could put they can get some pieces with them. That's a team that's well coached. They're put together okay. They, they could be a team that could compete. I think it'd be interesting. We'll see. I mean, I I'm not hundred percent against it, but I I'd like to see how it's going to work with that combo. You just never know until you see them on the court. But I would think that the Hawks were smart enough to talk to Trey Young in advance, mm-hmm. and to say, "Hey, do you think you two could get along? Do you think this would work?" You know, because right. I mean, you got to talk to your star player, especially if you're the Hawks and you got to, you think what Trey Young is going to be a franchise guy for you for a, you know, for the next part of a decade. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, as far as San Antonio goes, you lose Murray. Kawhi left a couple of years ago. You lost your Hall of Famers. You know, they, they aged out with Manu and Tony and, and yeah. Duncan. Um, and now here we are, like, this is, of my lifetime, this is going to be the worst I've ever seen the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah. Like, this is not who the San Antonio Spurs are. I mean, we're, we're not talking about them as a championship organization that they are moving on from these guys and then signing, you know, three or four all-stars or something like that. No, no, no. They're, they're going back to the bottom. They're, they're, they're hitting ground zero here. This is a complete shutdown that the yeah. Spurs are going through right now. This is not in their DNA. This is going to be a long road back to the top 
percentage. Yeah, it, it makes me wonder how long Pop will stay. You know, there's been those rumors too. already in the last few years. You know, it makes me wonder. What it makes me wonder is Pop's one of the greatest to ever do it, if not the greatest. But what about the relationships the last few years? And we heard there was a lot of complaints on how he handled that Olympic team. Um, is, is Pop losing his edge a bit? Is he not the coach that he was? Is he not the right type of coach for this era in the NBA? No, I don't know. I, I You know, this era of the NBA, it does take a lot of patience to be a head coach. You've got to give so much to those, to those top-tier guys. And, you know, the guys that Pop had, you know, he had David Robinson and Tim Duncan and then Ginobili. And, but all the top guys he had, they were all team guys. You know, his biggest guy was Tim Duncan, and there is nobody more humble than that guy. Mm-hmm. So they fit what Pop does. I mean, could you see Pop coaching LeBron? No. It'd be a terrible fit. Could you see Co- Pop coaching Durant? No. You know, I mean, I just, you know, and, and Popovich is 73 years old. I just looked it up here. 73. You know, he has nothing left to prove. I, I got to wonder at what point is he just going to hang up the spurs and go, hey, I, I'm done. You know, but I think that part of it is also he doesn't want to leave that cupboard bare. Yeah. And they just haven't drafted well. They haven't put teams together well. The couple of guys they had, they've lost. You know, and it's like, okay, they didn't make deals to keep some of those big-name guys who have left. And it's like, okay, well, what do you do? You know, it, it, it may be the, maybe he is the problem in a way. I, I just think that – I think you're on to something that he maybe doesn't fit what the, the league is today. Mm-hmm. Staying in the uh, state of Texas, right here in Dallas where I'm at, uh, rumors rampant that it sounds like Brunson's going to be gone. I know that he's still going to meet with Dallas, but his dad is an assistant coach with the Knicks, and apparently they're going to offer him quite the deal and try to make him their number one player. With that said, you look at the Babs, and Luca already chased off Rick Carlisle. A, hall, a future Hall of Fame head coach has won a championship. Porzingis, it didn't work out. That was a bad combination. Now Brunson partly leaving. Um, is there a problem with Luca and being a bad teammate? Is it too early to read into that, or do you think yeah. that might be a thing here? Is, is I, Luca at this point a diva of some sorts, Bo? I don't think that's the case. I it, I, think, I think it's just you have to – you've got to placate your star players nowadays. And I think that, you know, Luca's going to want a certain amount of, um, you know, a certain amount of respect and a certain amount of, you know, say. All these top guys want say. And, you know, again, uh, to my Rick Carlisle, he's another old school guy, you know. Look at the guys who are doing well. The teams that the, the coaching makes a difference, there's very few of them in the, in the NBA. But the ones that do make a difference, um, they're not the huge, huge names. You know, I mean, it's the biggest name of a coach who has 
kind of made a big difference lately is Spolstra. But look at the two teams we just had in the finals. I mean, Kerr is a big name, but Kerr's been able to handle big names as a coach. Um, the Celtics coach, I can't, I keep losing his name. I can't think of his Udoka. name. Udoka. Yes. Done a fantastic job. You know, again, it's kind of these new school guys, you know, that, that they understand what these players are. It's kind of like they understand the AAU culture in a way. You know, like the best NBA coaches right now will be ex-AAU coaches. Mm-hmm. Understanding how the top players, what they kind of require. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's just a different animal. And it's not the control thing that like you can do at the college level. And I don't know that we talk about this a lot on my pod. I think that's changing at the college level now as well. But it's it's we're in an era where coaching's important, but you gotta be the right kind of coach. And in each league, the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, they all have their own personality. The NBA is the one league where coaching either doesn't matter at all for a team or it's just dire and desperate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that the top teams are the most well-coached teams. And I just think – and those guys are not the – like Pat Riley wouldn't be a good coach today. Yeah. You know, you go back to the – if you go back to the 80s and you take the top three or four coaches, Phil Jackson – Chuck Daly would not good. be a good coach today. Well, who's that? Chuck Daly. Chuck Daly would be a terrible coach today. Um, you know, Phil Jackson, the one guy from the 80s I think would be good today was Casey Jones, the old Celtics coach. Yeah. Because, again, not a big personality, but the players be the players. You know, back then it was because they had veterans. He'd probably let some of these younger guys do the thing now. But you kind of have to be patient. And, you know, Rick Carlisle's an old school guy. Doesn't work. Yeah. I just think it's a different game than it was even 10 years ago. Right. It's the, it's the AAU has caught up with the NBA now. Right. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, looking back at the draft last week, Bo, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I take a team, you know, like it's no secret I'm, you know, an Oklahoma City fan. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't high on the Chet Holmgren pick. I don't like – I don't like Chet coming out. I think that, you know, the idea of a unathletic, skinny white dude, you know, was not my my first preference by any means. But the fact they ended the night with three picks in the top 12, to me, it was one of those deals where I said, okay, Sam Presti, you've done this a great job in the past of finding players. Yeah. You are confident enough to trade up, give up that much draft capital to take three in the top 12. I mean, it's hard not to get excited. Like, I came away, even though it wasn't necessarily the players I wanted, I was sitting there saying to myself, okay, Sam, you do your thing. You you think you have something figured out. You've done this before. I have reason to trust you. Now, Now I feel much better about that situation with the just knowing the confidence they put into that. Yeah, and you kind of have to now – you have to get players in the draft that not just fit your that not just fit into your team, but you have to take some some guys that you don't know fully who they are yet and hope to get a little bit lucky. Mm-hmm. So as you said, they had three players in the top 12. Yeah. Um, you know, 
I think that that's a great idea. I mean, they went and got, so they drafted what second overall and they got Chet Holmgren. Yeah. Which I mean, I think it's a good pick. Um, I'm surprised they didn't take Jabari Smith, but he didn't go first overall. I yeah. mean, it tells me they were locked in on Holmgren. Yes. And then um, they get the pick from the Knicks and they get Usman Diang from France. Right. Who, we were actually talking about our NBA draft preview. Um, we actually had P Money on, and he was really high on him. Yeah, he knew about him. He was like that dude could play. And then Jalen Williams from Santa Clara, we'd all seen, you know, in the, in the in the tournament last couple of years. I think that's another good pick. I mean, you might as well take as many of these guys as you can and see who the next star is. Right. You might get lucky and get two. Yeah, I mean, Sam Presti, he said that you know, with all these draft picks, why not have, you know, 15 players all fighting for a roster spot and use that G League to develop them? It's yeah. there, might as well use it. And yeah. you know what? I like that approach. There's nothing yeah, wrong too. with having to play guys in the G League. In the no. case of the Thunder here, it's a good problem to have. If you have yeah. too many good players that are developing and you have yeah. to play them there, that's fine. The You mentioned with the Magic – Everyone was saying they were going to go with Jabari Smith. The odds makers ended up saying they were going to go with Paolo, and everybody's like, this doesn't add up. What's going on here? Ultimately, they go with Paolo. He was my favorite player in the draft, the magic home run pick, and they played this beautifully. They had everyone convinced they were going with Jabari Smith, and they get Paolo here. I was surprised the Magic have been such a piss-poor run organization for them to pull off that one, to catch everybody off guard like that. That was well done. Well, it's funny because I had Jabari Smith as the best player, but I'm not as depth in that. Um, when we were doing our preview, P Money came in and was like, hey, Palos, the best player in this draft. He says, it's not even close. And we saw that the odds makers were still on Jabari Smith even the night before that everyone thought the Magic were taking Jabari Smith. Yeah. And when they didn't, and I didn't see the draft, I was doing something that evening. When I saw the draft results and I went, oh, oh, wow. Because I thought Jabari Smith was going first. There had been talk all, all college season he was going to go first. And I saw him play at Auburn. I thought he was great. Um, yeah. You know, I didn't see Powell as much. Um you know, our guy was on him and said, hey, this is the best player in this draft. Um, the only problem I have, like, I, I think you're, you're spot on that, yeah, the magic fooled us, which is kind of strange they got away with that. You're right. It's very off-brand for them to do that. Uh, so I, I, I think it's kind of cool. Did you see that Shaq wants to try to buy the magic? Yeah. It's not going to be cheap, even a team no. in Orlando. He's talking about he's going to partner with – who do he want to partner Another player. Who's the other player? Do you know? I didn't see. Oh, God, I can't. I have to look it up. But it was – it was a teammate. It, it wasn't Penny Hardaway, but it was a, an other teammate that he had played with. They're talking about trying to get in on the magic. Hmm. Everyone wants to buy a team nowadays. Oh, everybody does. Everybody wants to be a team owner. Can't blame them either. It's not cheap, though. I can tell you that much. It's not, but it, it's printing money. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, also, uh, on the on the draft and, you know, kind of with free agency and trades, kind of all bringing it back here. Uh, 
together in one piece. The Knicks had an uneventful draft night. They trade away that number 12 pick to Oklahoma City. And then in the, yeah. everyone's like, huh? Like, what are we doing here? And, and they end up getting picks that are protected in the top 20. So they may never even see these picks they traded for. Yeah. And they clear all this cap space this past week. All this hopes to bring in Jalen Brunson. I mean, it's 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 twofold here. One, it's either the Knicks are doing all this for Brunson, who we mentioned might be a top 10 point guard, might be, or they're doing all this and they in a very Nick way could not end up with Jalen Brunson altogether here, too. I mean, either yeah. way, they are selling their souls to go from either 29 wins to 35 wins. Yes. The Knicks are so poorly run. You know, I, I don't understand how good people are Knicks fans. I mean, it, it's funny when you see Stephen A. Smith, Spike Lee, and all these guys who just live and die by the Knicks. And I got a couple of friends from New York who are just huge New York Knicks fans. And I just go, man, I, every time, every year when they free up cap space or if some big name is going to go to free agency, the Knicks fans think they're going to get him. I mean, that's been going on since the 90s. And they've never been able to attract that big name. They, you know, there was talk. I mean, even going back to Michael Jordan, there was talk of, well, eventually we're going to get Jordan or we're going to get LeBron or then it was Kevin Durant. And they're not getting anybody to play for them. Yeah. And it, it's amazing how inept that franchise is. And especially in the biggest city in America, one of the biggest in the world, it's like, how do you like? How has that team been so poorly run for all these years? Mm-hmm. They haven't won a championship since the early seventies. Yeah, I mean it's ridiculous. And yeah, I mean you basically, I think you you hit the nail on the head of you basically have played your way into you know from twenty nine wins to maybe 32, 35 tops. Right. I mean, what's the use of doing that? Is he going to sell more tickets? You're already selling out the garden every night. Because you happen to be the Knicks. But do you really care? I live in Dallas, and I never said to myself, I got to go see the Mavs to see Brunson. No. <laughs> no. Right? So, yeah, that one, that one blows my mind. One more note, too, uh, kind of for both of us here. I know that you really loved this, this KU National Championship team. You got to know them real well and, yeah. and those guys. I was happy for Ochai and Christian Brown that they both got ended up being first round picks. Yeah. They both found good playoff teams. The Cavs are on the right track. And, you know, th- that'll be great for Ochai. He can play there and, and he might be able to start right away. And then for Christian Brown, you go to this Nuggets team that's just loaded with talent. Uh, watch out. I- I'm happy for both those guys. They ended up in good spots. I'm happy for both of them, too. I know both of them a little bit. Uh, I know Braun a little better. Braun's friends with my son. Um, I've met Ochai a number, of situ- a number of times. I think that Ochai's a great guy. Um, I think Ochai went to a great situation in Cleveland. I do think he'll be a starter pretty quick there. It's a good fit. Um, I'm happy for him. I would have liked to have seen him either gone um, – I wanted to see him go and drop two spots. I'm sorry, uh, three spots to Houston where I wanted to see him go. Um, I didn't think he was going to go up any higher. Um, But 
that was where I wanted to see him go. But I think Cleveland's a good spot. And then with Braun, so I can recall even having the conversation with him when he said he was going to go in the draft. I was like, he may not be the first round. And, you know, I thought that for sure that when it was coming time to declare or whether he's going to stay in or not, I thought he'd come back to KU. Yeah. But I guess he just kicked ass at the uh, the combine. He's one of the most athletic white guys I've ever seen. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, and I've said it to him, and he's kind of giggled when I said it, you can tell he's watched a lot of YouTube videos of Larry Bird. Mm-hmm. He, he The way he dribbles, the way he slices to the basket, it's different than how a lot of people do things, and it reminds me of that. I'm not saying he's that kind of talent. Far from it. I mean, Larry Bird's a top 10 guy overall, uh, you know, ever. But Christian Braun to the Nuggets is an incredible fit. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be really popular there. He's going to like Denver. And, yeah, I'm, I'm happy for him. I haven't spoken to him yet. My son's spoken to him twice now. Uh, he's excited. And I know he was back in Lawrence, I think, two weekends, right after the draft, a couple of days later, and uh, holding court. And uh, he's happy. And he's going he's gonna to be a contributor. He's going to have a good career there. I think he'll be a really good fit there. Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah. Happy for both those guys. Should be a lot of fun to see yeah. how things end up for them. Coming up next, Amber Theo Harris is going to join us. We'll go around the NFL with Amber. Then uh, Coach Bo is going to be back later on for Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. We'll have our Big 12 breakdown. Uh, also, we have our draft this week. We're going to do the ESPN draft. And then later, we'll have our Tom Fullery story of the week as well. All that more as we continue. Amber Theo Harris joins us next. Stay with us here at the Jones Report. <laughs> Joining us now on the Jones Report this week is Emmy Award-winning broadcaster, part of Sirius XM's NFL coverage, also a part of the NFL on Westwood One. It is Amber Theo Harris who is here with us on the show making her debut this week. Amber, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Uh, just earlier today, you were helping out some of us uh, young broadcasters with a, a boot camp today. And, and I got to tell you, it was so fascinating hearing uh, all your great stories and what, what you're, you've been up to. And this is kind of what you do now uh, also at, at USC, right? Yeah, it's one. And thanks for having me. I appreciate the invite. And um, today was amazing to get to know not just young broadcasters, but the first ever all Native American broadcast team that will debut on ESPN plus um, what a historic event um, for indigenous peoples for the entire nation. So I thought it was an honor to be invited to help coach uh, some of, of the broadcasters and, and try to it's hard to in one day, uh, you know, teach 25 years of, of failures and experience and, and everything that I've learned. But uh, yes, I teach at USC just on the side. You know, I'm an adjunct professor. Uh, I do it during the spring, of course, when the NFL is not going on. Uh, and I do one class and it's sports commentary. Um, and it's a real passion of mine. It's, you know, obviously nobody's making a lot of money as a college professor. So it, it's kind of my way of giving back and, and helping to usher in the next generation um, of, of amazing broadcasters. So let me ask you then, uh, you're working with, with young people all the time and in the classroom. What's that like? Uh, are you excited about this next era, the, 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 the guys and gals coming up and their passion for sports? I'm sure that's got to be cool for you to, 
to share that same passion, not just for sports, but for broadcasting too. Yeah, I think the future is in good hands. I think we're at a point in America where there's a lot of negativity. A lot of people are scared, a lot of moving backwards. Uh, but I have faith in the youth. I really do. I'm, I work close with them every day. I think this generation is is going to uh, move forward and kind of carry on all of the the fight that we went through, especially, and I say we being some of the first women broadcasters, um, I came in at a time where there weren't a lot of us. And so I feel um, really excited, not just about the, the young women that I, that I coach, but also the young men, they have such a different um, perspective. Uh, they grew up in a different world, a lot less sexism uh, amongst that generation. So I, I'm proud of the work that my generation did to make it this way. And I see the way that the men and the women in my class interact, the opportunities the women have as far as play by play and color announcing that weren't even existent when I came out. I mean, it wasn't even an option. And I really try to push uh, my female students into those paths uh, when they still are a bit conditioned to think, oh, I'm going to go be a sideline reporter or a studio host. I'm like, no, no, no. What do you want to do? Whatever you want to do, you can do. Like the opportunities are there. So why don't you start out as a play-by-play -play person rather than thinking you only have the opportunity to start as a sideline reporter like a lot of, uh, a lot of people in my generation did. That's incredible. That's, uh, that's great to hear. I, I love that. And that, that passion, uh, you certainly uh, can see that on uh, that front. Amber, I want to ask you, when we go around the, the NFL a bit here, obviously, first off, right off the bat, this Deshaun Watson situation, the hearings going on this week. What's kind of your, your takeaways from what we know at this point? Ooh. Well, um, I have been saying all along on every single talk show I've done nationally that the NFL cannot afford to have anything less than a one-year suspension. Anybody that has read the testimony of these women, has read the lawsuits, has watched the HBO specials, uh, has endured the disgusting details, knows that something happened. And when 24, as of now, could be a lot more, uh, women say something happened, I believe them. Sadly, the entire country does not believe them. If 24 men said one thing happened, anything, it would be in stone. But because 24 women said it, there's doubt. And that makes me sick to my stomach. So uh, there's no doubt that Deshaun Watson, to me, is a sexual predator. I've said it publicly. Um, he sought out women. He had 66 different massage therapists. Uh, that's not normal. In a, in a, what, a year span, I, I might have the time incorrect. I apologize if I do, but right around there. Um, that is somebody that was seeking out women uh, for sexual purposes. And the women were not willing participants in that uh, search. They did not know that they were being sought out for that. Some may have, um, but at least these 24 did not and were not consensual participants. And so to me, this just kind of falls in line with me being in the NFL for 20 some years, uh, the way that things go for women in the NFL, protect the players, don't believe the women, uh, it's, it's par for the course. But we're at a turning point right now where just in the past couple of weeks, we've seen an owner of an NFL team have to testify in front of a congressional committee about his misconduct. Now he's been subpoenaed and hasn't testified, um, but there's an investigation into misconduct of an actual owner 
um, towards his own employees. So the NFL is in a position, whether or not they care about protecting women or not, I, I don't think they do, but they do care about PR. And they that is why they are pushing for this one year suspension, because you cannot suspend Calvin Ridley for one year for gambling and then give six games or no suspension to Deshaun Watson, uh, who did unspeakable things, who was accused of doing unspeakable things. Right. Uh, so I think that's where we are right now is I think he will be one year indefinite suspension, no matter what happens, the NFL has to stay strong on this because the backlash in this climate, I mean, Roe versus Wade, women feel attacked. They cannot, from a PR standpoint, go less than that. On that idea too, with, with everything that you mentioned uh, going on in the PR situation and all this, uh, also worth noting that this process with having the hearing and a former judge make this decision is totally different. This was negotiated by this CBA as opposed to what we've seen with Roger Goodell making these decisions in the past. Different process, right? It's a totally different process. And this is the first case because it used to be Roger Goodell was the end all be all, right? He was, it was a dictatorship. Uh, the guy that ran the league got to put down the punishment and you didn't get to negotiate it. I mean, we're hearing about Deshaun Watson negotiating a punishment settlement. We have never heard the words punishment settlement ever before. That means that the person that is being punished actually can defend themselves and have a say in whether or not they're going to accept the punishment. And what this is made to do, I know it sounds crazy, but the process was made to eliminate appeals. So it's almost like the appeals process is being worked out in these negotiations because it used to be Goodell puts down his punishment. The, the, the NFLPA appeals on the player's behalf. And then this is a, you know, can be a several weeks, several months long process. So in order to expedite this, this is why they're doing this mutually agreed upon former federal judge where they negotiate on both sides. And that way you kind of waive your right, not waive your right, but you, you won't appeal. It's a settlement, right? right. Um, and it expedites the process. So it's a little bizarre <laughs> for those of us that are so used to hearing, you know, Goodell just said six games and that was it. And you appeal and he says, sorry, no. <laughs> you know, you appeal to the same person that just gave you the, the suspension. So it was a flawed system. We don't know how this system is going to work. This is the first case. Let's see what Sue Robinson does. Um, let's see how it, how it works out. And if it seems like it's a fair system, we'll find out. What about the Browns and the Texans in all this? The Browns made the trade knowing that there was these allegations out there. The Texans, we've heard that they were complicit in, in this situation. Do you think that we could see punishments handed down to the Browns and Texans for their roles in these situ this situation? Well, I mean, there could be legal punishment against the Texans because there's now a civil lawsuit um, against them on behalf of the 24 victims saying that alleged victims saying that Deshaun Watson um, or that they and the team enabled Deshaun Watson by knowing uh, being aware of his be being made aware of his behavior, uh, uh, giving him su supplying him with legal DNAs to give these women ahead of no. time. Uh, also paying for, um, you know, you could say it's like a club, like a health club, hotel kind of 
um, thing. Now, now it's not bizarre for for teams to pay for things like that for their star athletes. Uh, NDAs is weird. <laughs> That's where I think I think that could be the smoking gun. But to have them pay for you know a membership to a private club or a spa or whatever you want to call it is is not completely bizarre. Um, so I think the Texans could be punished from a legal standpoint, um, and then definitely in the court of public opinion, what will happen to them. Now, if if it is if there's evidence to prove that the Texans were enabling this behavior, were aware of it, and did anything such as provide these NDAs, um, as the victims have alleged, um, then then I think the league does get involved um, because they they have to. Something that is happening within the within the, the league, you know, the commissioner has to do something about it. There has to be some sort of investigation. But remember, this is the first time a, a team has ever been sued in a civil case involving women, wow. uh, sexual misconduct. It's the first time it's ever happened. And we can't forget that the league is the 32 owners. Right. So the owners do not want to set a precedent where teams can get penalized, whether it's losing draft picks, fined, whatever you want to whatever you want to do. Um for civil cases coming against them, you know, so there's there's a lot more politics to whether or not the league will do something or not. The Browns, they won't be punished. They had nothing. They had nothing to do with the Deshaun Watson uh, sexual misconduct, actual actions. Right. What they what they are, in my opinion, um, as I say, you, you you make a deal with the devil. And when he comes knocking and you wonder, you know, oh, shoot, now I got to pay up. Well, they knew what they were doing. Right. They made the worst the, the worst the worst deal in history, the worst deal in history to give two hundred thirty million dollars guaranteed. It was completely player friendly um, because it was an egregious act of winning at all costs. They thought if we get this guy, even if he sits out a year, we can win at all costs. I don't think they thought he would sit out a, a year, though. I really don't. And what this one year suspension that's the league is proposing. Remember who the league is. Right. 32 owners. In this case, 31 owners are on board with saying, stick it to him. Yep. Because you know what they did? They raised our contracts for our star players. Now Steve Bashotti is saying, great. Now Lamar Jackson, who's much better than Deshaun Watson on paper, won an MVP, you know, has been playing um, better numbers so far. He's going to say, here you go. I want 23, $230 million plus 20%. That's it's it made it easy for the players in these negotiations. It screwed the owners. And so that's why the owners are okay with this suspension going, yeah, Jimmy Haslam, you made it tough for all of us. We're, this doesn't smell right to us. So go ahead and make your star guy sit out for a year. And that's what you get. Now me, you know, I look at it as the Browns also essentially are complicit in the fact that they they're paying they essentially paid off the victims mm -hmm. where do you think he got the money for you know the 230 million he agreed to knowing he would need all that cash to pay off 24 people let's say they each got a million i don't know what they got it's a lot of money he's having to pay off so the that came directly from the browns so to me like that's a story that's underreported it is how gross is that like it just all feels gross especially as a woman it feels gross yeah i mean i look at this amber and you know i know that we're broadcasters but at the end of the day we're all fans right you know mm -hmm. and it I, I don't know how 
even if I grew up in Cleveland or Houston, how I could look at those organizations and their involvement and ever root for those teams. Yeah. I mean, look, I know how I felt. I grew, you know, I, I'm very close to the Ravens, I'm close to ownership. Um, a lot of people in that organization are like family to me. Very difficult for me to swallow the Ray Rice situation when knowing that they uh, essentially had access to the tape. They said they didn't, but saw what really happened before we did. Um, and, you know, didn't really do anything about it at the time. And that was that was hard because I know the moral compass of many of the leaders in that building. And it wasn't in line with that decision. Um, and so I, I, I can relate, I guess I could say to the fans in Cleveland uh, with the Texans that it's it sucks because you <laughs> you love your team. Right. But you hate the person like you hate a player that was there. You hated a decision that was made. But I think if anybody is looking to their football team as a moral holy grail, man, are they ready to be disappointed because right. it's just not the NFL. It's not it's not the way it works. Um, yeah. Lower your expectations, unfortunately. That's well said. We're joined currently here on the Jones Report this week by Amber Theo Harris of Sirius XM and Westwood One, who covers the National Football League. Uh, Amber where does Baker Mayfield fall in line in all this? <laughs> does he end up back in Cleveland or is he still going to be playing for somewhere else next year? We've talked about this all week on my show. I, look, I have gone from on Monday saying that ship is sailed. I, I know, I know Baker from a professional standpoint of interviewing him, being around him. He is not the most, uh, let me be the bigger guy. Let me, you know, bridge under the water, uh, you know, or water under the bridge. Sorry. Uh, he's not that he's just not that he's kind of like a grudge holding a little bit immature, uh, kind of guy. Now maybe he's matured more with this whole situation and maybe he's prepared to handle it better. And maybe he sees this as an opportunity. I just short of the Browns coming back on their knees and, you know, I don't know what it would take, you know, begging him for forgiveness. I mean, he, he's an ego driven guy mm -hmm. and he says he felt disrespected and he, I don't think, I don't think this is just history with Baker and I'm talking one-on-one. -on -one. I don't think he has the maturity to go, you know what? This is a lot better situation than if I go to, to Carolina or to Seattle yeah. I have more of a chance to win here. I have top five defense. I've got two killer running backs. I know this offense. It's June 29th. <laughs> you know, you missed OTAs with whatever team you're going to be playing for. You're already behind eight ball. So he, I don't think he has the reasoning, nor the people around him that aren't yes people to say, Baker, kiss and make up, man, because this is a great situation to go back into better than to play a year in Carolina or play a year in Seattle. I, I get that. But at the same time too, I wonder, doesn't there have to be at, at the very least, I get what you're saying, but on the flip side too, don't the Browns to an extent have to reach out and say, we need you. Like, I mean, don't they have to kind of open up the door a little bit, at least crack it open. For oh, him? it's a hundred percent. The Browns remember he said this week, he said, well, for that to happen, you know, there'd have to be some reaching out. He was very vague. He didn't say like, I need to reach out or they need to, but he a hundred percent. The Browns need to reach out. 
The Browns are the ones that went out, got another quarterback, said that they needed an adult in the room. And the adult they're referring to is a man that has 24 civil cases against him for sexual misconduct. I get why Baker felt disrespected. Mm -hmm. I get it. So Baker's not going to call up the Browns and go, hey, I'm ready to come back. The Browns have to say, look, we understand there's a lot of bad blood here. And but we think we have our best chance to win with you and we got to make it up to you somehow. How can we get you back? Short of that, and even that might not be enough, knowing Baker, prideful guy, man. I could see him being like, I'll go lose in Seattle rather than come back to the Browns, which is shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, it's a great point. Uh, Amber, I know that you, you got to run, so I just want to ask you just real quick, just while we get a little bit of time here. Uh, Terry McLaurin gets a nice deal this week, three years. Uh, he gets paid. Now, what does that mean, you think, for, for Debo Samuel and DK Metcalf here? It's, it's two very different situations. Well, the three situations are all very different. Um, I think, you know, you could compare Terry McLaurin and DK Metcalf, although DK Metcalf hasn't been as, I'd have to look numbers wise, but just off the top of my head, I don't believe he's been as productive as Terry McLaurin has been over the last two years. Definitely not last year. Um, now, Debo Samuel is a completely different story. Debo Samuel, if you are the, if you are making him just a receiver, which is what he wants to be, that's, that's the holdup. or at least the rumors are that he doesn't want to be used as a running back. He doesn't want to be back there banging heads. He doesn't want a shelf life to be shorter than it already is. And also he wants wide receiver money. When you're seeing hundred million dollar contracts flying off the table to AJ Brown and Tyreek Hill, and you get a hundred million and you get a, of course you're going to say, yeah, well, I'm a receiver. Don't get it twisted. I'm a receiver. And so I want receiver money. But if you look at what he's done as a receiver, uh, he had 10 drops. You know, for, for number one receivers in the league last year, if you compare those numbers, that's pretty high up. You know, he hasn't performed to the level of some of the other receivers as far as a pure receiver. Now, as a receiver running back, as, a, as this wide back, he's, he's invaluable. I mean, I think that's where you give him. To me, he's a $20 million a year receiver. He's a $27 million a year hybrid. Um, and that's his decision. Like, do you want to take a, a, he thinks it'll shorten his career, you know? So do you take the 20 million and think that you're going to have a second contract or do you take the 27 million? You know what I mean? Right. So it's, it, there's numbers to it and there's history to it, but I think they're in different categories than Terry McLaurin, but I'm, I'm happy for Terry. I have a question for you before I go, Okay. because I've wondered about this. Um, I, I know of course uh, that you are, uh, what, what is your tribal affiliation again? I'm sorry. I'm uh, I'm Choctaw, part of Choctaw, Choctaw. Nation of Oklahoma. That's where I'm, I'm from originally. Yeah. Okay, Ch- Choctaw. So me covering the Washington football team for so many years, being from that area, I got ripped on social for re- saying that in 2012, I was covering the commanders because I feel I'm uncomfortable with using the name that was get that we got rid of. There was right. reasons that we got rid of that name. Sure. But there is a, uh, I guess, a confusion or discomfort or whatever with a lot of broadcasters that don't know how to refer to the team before this year when the, na- the name changed. So if you're, if you're talking about the, the 1984 team that won the Super Bowl, right? do you not say the word? Do you say the Washington, the 1984 Washington team that won? I just like, I'm, I'm all ears because I think this needs to be out to all broadcasters on how to proceed. 
Yeah, I mean, I look at it for me, I've always been one where I appreciate effort, right? You know, mm -hmm. if, if somebody is loosely saying, you know, that that's one thing, but if the effort's being made, you know, of trying to find some work around whatever, that, that to me is great. Um, you know, if you're saying Washington or you want to say commanders, you know, I, I get it. I've even accidentally had slip ups, you know, every once in a while. We, we said it for how many years, you know? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, to, to me, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, we, we all were looking for, you know, for progress of sorts. You know, the, the thing that I at that time when the name change was going on, one of the when or the, the controversy of it anyway, uh, I said was, you know, Yes, this is, you know, it, it is a demeaning name and all these things, but you're getting a platform to talk about the issues that are going on in Native American communities. Mm. By, by this coming up, there's, it brings a light to, you know, some issues that are going on that, you know, uh, the, the Navajo Nation, for example, had meetings with Dan Snyder and got to talk about what was going on, going on in their communities and several things. So for me, I, I look at just the, the platform that you know these type of th these circus 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 that we make and to me that's that's what it matters is getting you know, getting those progress that, you know, yeah that progress and clearly we're seeing the progress there that's what that's what's most important to me ever well i just i think as a broadcaster i made the decision that i wasn't going to use the name or refer to it even in a historical sense yeah um out of respect for for my friends um that have told me that it's hurtful yeah. And if something hurts somebody, why, why refer to it? But I've kind of come under fire for, there was no 2012 commanders. I said, I didn't say the 2012 commanders. I said I was covering the commanders, which is now what right. they're called in 2012. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's, I see a lot of people stumble, stumbling over it. I, I heard, um, I heard it's not uh, going to be overnight. You know, everybody's going to take time on these things. Yeah. You know? Charles yeah. Davis and, um, and who was on today, uh, um, and my, oh my gosh, my own station. Anyway, you know, Charles Davis, good colleague of mine. It was, I was, he was interviewing Brian Mitchell, who was, you know, former Washington player. And he asked him the question, he goes, when people refer to you as a former what, like, what should we say? Because I want to be respectful. And I thought that just asking that question on air really, like you said, creates a platform, at least shows that it should, the effort should be there to uh, at all, I think try not to use it even in historical reference because why if you don't have to? Right. And and Brian gave a great, he said, hey, we've always been the Burgundy gold, just call us the Burgundy and gold. And I thought right. that was great. That's never yeah. gonna change either. I mean- Never that, gonna those, change, I loved those, that. Those colors yeah. are iconic, you know, I mean, yeah. yeah. So, so I was great. curious, thank you for entertaining my question on your own of podcast. Course. Of course, I, I, I'm glad to do it. Uh, Amber, uh, last thing before we go, uh, a football question. Who, who's the favorite right now? Who's the team that you have to, to beat for this upcoming season? Oh, my gosh. Gosh, you got me really early. We haven't even gotten to these, these hypotheticals yet. Um, we don't even start these till camp. I mean, just off the top of, of my head, the AFC is going to be wicked. Um, I think it's going to be really tough. So I like the Buffalo Bills out of the AFC. Uh, NFC, I, I think it's the old heads. Like if Aaron, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, like you can't count out the green Bay Packers and you can't count out the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, until you see otherwise, but the Rams are going to have something to say about it. So we'll see, we'll see how it, it pans out, but I like the bills a lot. And for me to like one AFC team, uh, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of teams in the AFC that could go to the Super Bowl. 
Yeah, there very well could be. Amber, uh, where can people find you and, and uh, hear and see all the great work you're doing? Yeah, thank you. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at Amber Theo Harris. It's, it's like two words, but it's one word with one R. Amber Theo Harris. And uh, you can also follow me on Instagram at Amber Theo one. And you can catch me on uh, Sirius XM. Uh, the shifts move around, but uh, during the season, you can usually catch me on Sirius XM NFL Radio on Sunday mornings leading up to the games, doing the pregame show. And uh, also, I do uh, quite a bit of fantasy for your fantasy football uh, playing audience. Uh, catch me on Fantasy Sports Radio from 2 to 4 o'clock Eastern, Mondays and Tuesdays. That's great. Amber, appreciate the time. We'll, uh, I'm sure, be talking again down the line. Appreciate you joining us, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks for having me. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagks.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com. You can also reach out to Bo by phone at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. You can also go to uh, Bo's email address. You can reach out to him there, brian.oconnor at lpl.com. That's brian with a y.oconnor at lpl.com. And check out the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every Monday and Friday on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. And Bo rejoins us right now. Bo, uh, first off, uh, what's going on at O'Connor Advisory Group this week? Hey, man, this is the week we've been getting ready for uh... – uh, Fourth of July, obviously, it's so a short week next week. And so it's this week right now, we're dealing with a lot of people who are just worried about mock market volatility, rates are going up, the Fed's raising rates. What is the, how does that impact investments? It's a great time if your current advisor is not talking to you, or if you don't have an advisor, if you're doing the robo advisor thing and you just want someone to talk to, it's a great time to talk to us. We're more than willing to do it with no, um, no obligation. You can sit out, you can chat with us, but to set it up via Zoom in person at my office in Lawrence, whatever it takes, we can make you happy. We want to just discuss it, see what we can do to help you. If you need help, if you don't, that's great too. But then we want to be your partner. We want to be able to help you get where you want to get to in your financial goals. Yes, uh, we do. OAGCast.com, OCounteradvisegroup.com for more information there. Bo, uh, we just had a great chat with uh, Amber Theo Harris uh, talking about Sean Watson and, and that situation. But I want to kind of elaborate just a little bit further on it. We won't spend a whole lot of time because we have other things to talk about. But uh, of where this, this goes in, in this situation where, where it stands right now, the timetable of, of what we've heard, that the hearings are this week, and then a punishment should come down in the next couple of weeks yeah and knowing that the nfl did not speak to all the accusers they've admitted that themselves they didn't yeah. do it and that there have been more accusations that have come out since you know in just the last month you know up to 26 total now um what, what do you make of where the nfl is at and all this i i feel like the nfl and, and I'm always open-minded. I'm, I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt, but it feels like already the NFL hasn't done their due diligence on this. Well, I don't know if anyone has done their due diligence on this. I don't certainly don't think the teams did their due diligence. Right. Um, I, I think the biggest thing that's going unsaid here, honestly, is 
And we're hearing that the NFL is asking for a um, a one-year minimum suspension. He has to reapply, that it's going to be an indefinite suspension, what the NFL is asking for. Meanwhile, Watson's people want eight weeks. Um, you know, I find that to be hard to swallow. I, I've already said on my podcast, I think he should get two years at minimum. And I think that's more because of the contract. But I think the thing that the NFL needs to also consider is punishment of the teams, uh, specifically the Browns and the Texans. We're seeing reports where the Texans, um, you know, were setting up NDAs for Watson, giving him hotels that, that have some of these appointments in. Um, that makes them, you know, a party to this as far as I'm concerned. And I, I think they should lose the draft compensation they've received from Cleveland in this deal as penalty for that. And I think the Browns for not doing the due diligence and really for what they did do with the contract. I don't know if you're aware. I'm sure you're aware, but I don't know if all the listeners know if Watson misses an entire first season of that contract, he's out 1 million of his $230 million contract. That was purposefully done by both sides. And I just think that that is a complete, it's nonsense. That's why I think that the, the, the Browns should have to pay. I think the Browns should be fined for that. I think the Browns should be, I think he should get a two-year suspension at minimum. I think his salary should count against the cap during that year of his suspension. And they should be fined a pretty hefty amount for trying to circumvent the rules. That's really what this is. And that hasn't been talked about in my view. And I, I think that's just as important. You talked about giving the benefit of the doubt. I can't give the NFL the benefit of the doubt. They keep screwing things up. Right. And, uh, and then, so I'm saying, I'm, I'm not going to. I, yeah, I, I tend the, to, but in this case, you can't. They really can't. And the NFL has they've changed how they doled out these penalties. You know, it's now a committee that's got a head that's a former judge. And they're hearing this as a hearing. But what will happen is there will be an appeal. No matter what the penalty is, there'll be an appeal. And the appellate court is Roger Goodell. What is he going to do? So it goes back to the same person when it's all said and done. The agreement between the NFL and the Players Association basically did nothing. You know, it's going to be some kind of an inconsistent behavior thing here on what they penalize him. Anything under a year is an absolute slap in the face and not penalizing the two teams to me is letting the teams get away with it. And the commissioner won't do that. He will not penalize the teams because he works for the owners. Now, when this is all said and done, when the suspension goes down, let's say for all intents and purposes, it's a year. Okay. Are the Browns, are they holding on to the wheel? Do they say, we've already committed ourselves to this, we're going to hold on to Deshaun until the NFL says otherwise? Yeah. Or are they going to reach a point where they say, we've had enough, we're done with him too, and he never plays in the league again? Will we ever see Deshaun Watson in a Browns uniform suit up? Okay, that's two questions. I'll answer the first one first. With the Browns, yes, the Browns will absolutely hold on to Deshaun Watson if it's a one-year suspension. They planned for it to be a one-year suspension from day one. 
This was a play not for 2022, but for 2023. That's why they held him to Baker Mayfield. Now, they're not going to play Baker, and Baker knows he's going to leave, and he wants to leave, and both sides are out on that deal. But this is clearly – there's no way that the Browns, if it's a one-year or less suspension, are going to walk away from this. If it's a two-year suspension or an indefinite, and he has to reapply after the first year, if he's then told, no, you can't come back after the first year, maybe – the Browns cut bait, but there's no incentive for them to cut bait. And they've already come this far in the court of public opinion. Why not just stay with it? And they've already lost all the PR battle, everything. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Why wouldn't you just stay with it and say, well, all right, yeah, we messed it up, but we'll just continue the thing. You know, there's another idea too in all this that, you know, when we look at the NFL, the question always becomes, does your talent outweigh your problems? Mm-hmm. And Sean Watson, we know, is a talented football player. Been to multiple Pro Bowls. He's won playoff games. The talent's there with him. You know, he's one of the top 10 quarterbacks in this league. Um, do you think that let let's say that if the Browns say they've had enough, is anyone now you know when when this deal went down, there was a lot of teams lining up. The Browns ended up winning the sweepstakes, but there was teams yeah. lining up for Deshaun. Do you think now, if he were to be a free agent or, or if the Browns moved on from him, are teams lining up for Deshaun now? Um, I think that in for 2022, no. 2023 could be a whole different ballpark. We just, if he's already got, he settled with 20 of the 24 cases. Yes. If he settles the other four, never goes to court, uh, has no other issues between now and a year from now, and he's reinstated to the league, but Cleveland says, nah, he's too toxic. Somewhere, someone is going to give him a chance. I hate to say it, but it's true. I mean, look, if you are just looking at this in terms of football, you said everything else aside, okay, which is a big ask. I get it. You take Deshaun Watson tomorrow yeah, over Baker Mayfield and three first-round picks. But you can't do that when you include all the other baggage back in. Mm-hmm. And – The only way I could see that, you know, he gets sort of, for lack of a better term, blackballed out of the league would be if owners are just so mad at what the Browns did with the guarantee of the contract and all of that. That would be something that I could see because um, what the, the biggest part to me, what's going to happen over the next couple of years is we're going to see the rest of these, um, these, these quarterbacks are now going to come in. They're going to want more money than Watson got. Mm-hmm. Cause they can point to it. Whether you like Lamar Jackson or Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert, you can look at it. You go to your team and you say, Hey, I'm just as good. And you don't have to, and you can put me on the billboards and you can do all this with me, but you can't do it with him. And if he's worth that, 
I'm worth that. Mm -hmm. And that's where other teams are going to be mad at what the Browns have done. Mm -hmm. In the end, it's not going to be they're mad because of all the off the field stuff. Right. They're going to be mad about the contract when it's all said and done. Baker Mayfield this week, he said that the door is not open for him to going back to Cleveland. He said they would have to reach out to him before just to even start a conversation. With that said, Bo, look, I get it. The Browns are a toxic organization. They have handled this as poorly as this could have gone, and they have slapped Baker in the face and treated him terrible. But even then, even with all that said, isn't Baker Mayfield's best option still for this year? The Cleveland Browns? I mean, you look at that team, there's talent there. That's a playoff team. And his two other options, a rebuilding Seahawks team with a bad offensive line and a Carolina team with Matt Rule, whose coach might be have the hottest seat in the entire league going into this year. I mean, as in a system he already knows in Cleveland, if – at the end of the day, as crazy as this offseason has been, Cleveland and Baker's best options, quite frankly, are still each other. Well, Cleveland's best option is definitely Baker. You're the insider here for the Seahawks, so I, you would know better than I would about a Baker's situation because if Baker was to go to Seattle and get a contract extension, that's a much better situation. That's what a bad like line, Aaron. That? He's already had injury issues. I would be concerned. What do you think are the odds that Baker is going to Seattle and gets an extension? Uh, I would say that he's got about a 70% chance to go to Seattle right now. What's the odds of the extension? In the extension, I would put that as, I would say of both things happening, probably 40%. Okay. That's his best option. That's Baker's best option. You think that's better than him betting on himself in Cleveland for this one year? I think so. Because what other spots will be open next year? Oh, all sorts of spots. Really? Maybe the Panthers? Maybe the Giants? The... uh... I mean, yeah, I mean, you look around the league, the, the commanders. Uh, they can spend a lot of money to get to get Carson Wentz. That's not going to last. That's not going to work. Well, I, I don't I, – you know I'm not high on Carson Wentz. I, I think if you get the option, the option of the extension, you take it if you're a breaker, maker, Mayfield. Yeah. I mean, I just think that's the burden in the hand. And the reason being is that I'm not sure – He's young enough that even with an extension, he could maybe get a third contract if he does play well. Mm-hmm. So I think you jump at an extension. I don't, I think his situation is different than what like Dak Prescott's was. Yeah. When Dak bet on himself, what ended up being the best thing that ever happened to Dak was when he got hurt and right. Dallas was horrible without him. Right. We know Cleveland's going to be bad. You know, without Baker. Jacoby Brissett is a fine backup. I think he's yeah. 
very good if you need him to start a game or two or three games, but Jacoby's not taking that team to the playoffs. No, not in that division either. No. Yeah. So, I mean, that's where I would – that's where I would say if I'm Baker and I can get out of there and get to a – um. I can get somewhere where they'll give me an extension. I'll take it. I, um, I think the whole thing for Baker is to get away from that organization. I think anything he can do to get out of Cleveland is a good thing at this point. And I'm here for any progressive commercials with him where he has to move. I think that'll be hysterical. That'd be great. Um, let me ask you about Terry McLaurin, his new deal. Yeah. Three years does not crack 25 million a year. Doesn't enjoy, doesn't join that elite status. Yeah. Um, did Terry McLaurin settle here? Could he have gotten more? I don't know. The thing about him is that he got the extension on one of the years where he could have been franchised. So he got it. It's, it's a new contract. So he gets to replace one of those years. So where he would have been on a, on a rookie contract, that first year is now going to be, a higher contract. So he's going to get a better average. You look at what he would have got. It's basically a year early. Um, so I don't think that's terrible. He just wanted the guarantee of the money. And right now, I, mean, the, I think that's the biggest thing in this offseason is how much money these receivers are getting. The receiver market has changed. And if Terry McLaurin's getting this money and we've seen um, – who else we've seen get these contracts so far? We saw Devontae Adams. We've seen now McLaurin. We saw everyone but Debo and DK Metcalf has gotten a damn contract extension. Mm-hmm. What's, uh, what's going to happen with DK? I think they're going to end up paying him. be happy. Um, I would think that he's going to join that top five status. I would expect money similar to what A.J. Brown got. Okay, yeah, the other one that got money. A.J. Brown was another one that got money. The one that. for me that's intriguing is, is Debo Samuel. Um, yeah, because yeah, that's not a money thing. That's I, not well, all a money. It's always it's, money. It's a big, it, the money is part of it, but he also does not want to play running back. Yeah. Um, I, I think that there's still a chance that could be resolved. I'm not ruling out. I think out. so, too. I know that he demanded the trade and all that, but enough time has passed yeah, and it's gone. I think there's a chance he could still end up in, in San Fran with a new contract. Yeah, I think that they can go in there and say, look, no running back plays, no no punt returns. You're just going to be a receiver. I think he'd be happy with that. You know, I know he's supposedly an East Coast guy and wants to go back to the East Coast, but they pay you enough money, you'll stay on the West Coast. I mean, really. Uh, Come to here's if I'm 49ers, if I'm John Lynch, this is literally what I said to Debo Samuel. Okay, you want to go play for the Jets? You want to go be a full time receiver for the New York Jets? Yeah, we're going to pay you the same exact money. You're not going to have to play running back anymore. You're going to be in a much more stable organization that's been there, done that, a system you know. The choice is yours. Yeah, that's what I would say to Debo right now. Yeah, and then also – You want to play for the Jets or you want to play for us? Your yeah, call. that's what it's going to come down to. I mean, it's and, – and, yeah, I think that Debo is going to – I think the big thing was if Debo doesn't have to play running back, it's fine. I mean, that's – I think that's his biggest thing. He doesn't want to take those hits. That's a lot of hits. That takes a lot of mileage off those legs when you're getting hit like that. And I think he doesn't want that. I get it. Um, you know what's funny? You know the two guys that are going to clean up because of this, though? 
Who's market? That? Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine how much money uh, Justin Jefferson is going to get? Yeah. Next year? Yeah, I mean, he's going to get it next year. It's just going to be a ridiculous amount of money. I mean, you got two more years or maybe even three till Chase can get paid. He was a rookie this year. If Chase has those numbers, it's going to be a ridiculous amount of money he gets. Right. So it, that to me is intriguing to see what's happened with the whole, um, just a whole different wide receiver class. Last, how that's become uh, valuable. Last NFL note, and then uh, I got some college football I want to touch on here with okay. you. Um, this Tyreek Hill stuff about him saying that two was more accurate than Patrick Mahomes and all this, um, whatever. I mean, yeah. he's, he's not right. You know, I, I think he's being kind to his quarterback. But another side of it, though, I do think that Tyreek is still bitter with how things went down in Kansas City. I think that he, he's got an ax to grind with his former team. I don't think it's anything like that. I really don't. I think it's him simply – you notice when he said all this stuff? Right when his podcast came out. It's just to draw listens to his podcast. You know, he had the first podcast came out, and he made the comment that, you know, if you look at the strength of an arm, yeah, definitely Mahomes. But if you look at the accuracy, it's definitely my guy, Tua. And then Mahomes – did exactly how I mean, what Mahomes did was classy. He was like, "Hey, look, I got no beef with Tyreek, and of course Tyreek's going to defend his new guy. That's who he's with. That's his teammate. That's what he should do." But then, of course, somebody got upset and goes on Twitter or Instagram or somewhere and supposedly threatens to kill Tyreek Hill which then becomes the whole segment of the second podcast. Right. That he's getting death threats on social media, on all his social media, he said. I don't think there's any story to this more than two things. One, Tyreek Hill's trying to get listens to a podcast. This is the new thing for athletes. We've seen it with Draymond Green. We're seeing it with Tyreek Hill. We saw it with Tom Brady with the XM show he had last season. It's to draw lessons, to draw downloads, and all that stuff. And I think the other thing about this that's interesting is how classy Mahomes handled it. Mahomes did not take the bait. Yeah, he didn't say, "Well, Tyreek Hill." You know, he didn't do anything like that. He just said, "Well, that's his guy. It's who he's playing with now." You know, he he didn't fall for the bait. And, And look, I'm no apologist for Patrick Mahomes especially with his family. But I, um, I I thought it showed some class on Mahomes' part, and I don't think there's any beef here at all. I think it's just done for ratings. It's for downloads. Same reason that sometimes we stay stuff on our podcast to kind of be a little bit controversial. Yeah, I, I disagree. I think that he and Andy Reid did not see eye to eye. I think that there was a real rift there, and doesn't like the way how things ended. And, and you know, I, I, I think that there's I, – I, I don't think that ended friendly. I, I think he was not happy with, with how things went down, how he was viewed. I think it's easy to say that because of how quick it happened. It did happen fast. When the Chiefs decided that they were not going to extend Tyreek Hill, that he was not going to be the priority – 
they moved quickly. And I think that people thought because of how quickly they moved that there was a major beef. The biggest beef to me the Chiefs have is within the coaching staff with the whole be enemy thing. Mm-hmm. And that seems like that's kind of been, been quailed or squashed. So I don't know. I don't think there's a whole lot between Tyreek Hill and Andy Reid. And I think at this point, Tyreek Hill shouldn't complain. He got paid. He wow. got what he wanted. And he got to go to – and Tyreek Hill has made comments before that when his career was over, he wants to be a high school coach. There is no better place to be a high school football coach than South Florida. Mm-hmm. I mean, we both know we both called one of his games a couple of years ago. Yeah. You know, we heard all the great stories about how he was working with those kids and everything else. Look, he wants to be a head coach at a high school level at some point. He'll do that, and he'll do it in South Florida where it's going to be a bigger situation, a big time kind of thing in a place where it's not unusual for a talent like him or a guy with his name to be able to be a coach and not have to be a teacher. Right. You know, you can't really do that in Kansas City. Just how it works here in Kansas and Missouri. So I, I think in the end, Tyreek Hill got everything he wanted. Yes. He is a team. He probably dropped down a little bit, but you know, you and I have both talked amongst ourselves that the Dolphins team was really talented. And it really just comes down to how good Tua is at this point. Right. You know, so we'll see. I, I, I thought, the, again, the most interesting parts to me were Tyreek's going for downloads and Mahomes is being classy about it. Yeah. Um, a college note, and then we'll uh, move on to uh, our draft season. We'll, we'll circle back later with our Big 12 breakdown and some more college stuff. Um, the ACC is dropping divisions starting in 2023, and they're moving to a new schedule model of three locked opponents and then five rotating opponents. And so you'll play everybody in the conference within a two-year two-year stretch uh it's it'll be twice in four years that you'll play everybody i like this idea bo um i it could have been better though i would have liked to see the acc go to nine conference games and some of the locked opponents are just weird didn't really make sense rivalry wise but nonetheless it's it's not a bad idea the main thing is you're going to get the two best teams every year in the acc in the title game yeah, I mean, I like the idea. It every every conference is going to be different with how they handle this. You know, the right now the Big Twelve, everybody plays everybody. These conferences are not wanting to play nine conference games. They want the revenue of non-con games. They also, frankly, want an easy win. The SEC's fighting over that right now. Um, you know, it it's going to be interesting. I got the permanent rivalries up here. I haven't looked at it yet. Um, there are some unusual ones in here. And now that I look at it, yeah. I, Florida State got handed a gauntlet. Miami, Clemson. Yeah, and Florida State gets Clemson. What's this? Clemson, Miami, and Syracuse. So Miami makes sense. Syracuse makes no sense. Clemson, I guess, makes sense. Um, Miami's spending some good NIL money. I don't know if Cristobal's the right coach, but 
they'll be back eventually. Yeah, Dan Lambert's spending that money over there. I was reading all about what they're doing on the NIL side. And they've got Dan Lambert spending crazy amounts of NIL money to get guys. I, I still think there's one big, big move going to happen in these conferences. And I think the ACC is the one that gets rated next. So, I mean, I just – I think that's coming. It won't be the next year or two, but it's coming two or three, three or four years out. I think and the ACC gets rated for three or four teams. Of all the Power Five conferences, they have the worst TV deal. Yeah. And that's not going to be helpful for teams like Florida State, Miami, Clemson, and North Carolina. And North Carolina doesn't have – their basketball rival in Duke doesn't have Coach K anymore. It's not Coach K versus Roy now. Right. I made the prediction. I think by 2025, I think Oklahoma and Texas are going to be in the SEC next year. I think that whole buyout thing is going to happen. And I think by 2025, we're going to see those four schools in the SEC as well. That being Clemson, North Carolina, Florida State, and Miami. So one idea that's being – among the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12 is that they have eight conference games, but then guarantee that one of their non-conference games is an alliance game, that you play one of the alliance, one of the teams within the alliance, Pac-12, yeah. Big Ten, ACC. Yeah. Ball, what, what do you think about that idea? Of- That's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea because it helps your strength of schedule. And the both. ACC – has six opponents every year that'll play Notre Dame too. Yeah. Yeah. Notre Dame's going to have to either get off the pot because they're going to get left behind. The big 10 should just offer, should just make the deal with Notre Dame now. I mean, that's, that's the thing is the ACC to save their conference may have to add Notre Dame. Um, there's a lot that's going to happen in the next couple of years still. And when the big 10 signs their big contract, which is coming next, you know, it's going to be huge. We know that the SEC's contract expands with expansion of the league and the number of teams. It, it's going to get interesting. It's going to get interesting. And then I think with NIL, I think football is going to go into its own thing, where the NCAA is not going to roll football, where the NCAA is going to be sort of the the widget, if you will, for the games themselves but the rules are going to be different. Right. They'll be outside of the normal university situation and no longer subject to Title IX in that case as well, which will be helpful to schools. Yeah. Yeah, so, I think so. Yeah, it'll be, we're in interesting times with college sports. Yeah, we are. And IELTS changed sure. everything. Uh, so that's the football fix for this week. Bo's going to stick around for the rest of the show this week as the Thomas Bridges is out. And uh, we will move on to our draft segment this week. This week we are doing an ESPN draft. And you may be wondering, okay, what do you mean by that, an ESPN draft? Well, ESPN, uh, the worldwide leader, uh, has been around for all of our lives, a big part of our childhood and a reason why who we are as sports fans. I know the network has changed and it's not what it once was, but uh, I think we still all owe a lot to what ESPN has done for us as sports fans, even if it's not the same product that it was before. But basically what we're going to do is we are going to draft uh, uh, eight this time. We're changing up the rules a little bit. 
We're going to go two personalities, uh, two segments, two 30 for 30s, two commercials, and two shows in our draft this week. So uh, with that, Bo, before we uh, officially get started here, uh, you've watched ESPN for a long time. What would you say uh, comes to mind when you think of the mothership? I mean, I think Sports Center. Sports Center is Americana now. I mean, it's, I mean, you mentioned it's been around your whole life. You know, uh, ESPN started in '79. I was four years old. So, um, but it's literally been around as long as I can remember. Um, but if you look at it, it's Sports Center has become such a large part of just American culture. Mm-hmm. And that's what built ESPN. And, you know, they've got, whether it's Sports Center and now they have game. And I mean, I remember back when I was a young boy, you didn't have that many, you didn't have the NFL. You didn't have the NBA or, or even um, uh, Major League Baseball. You had college basketball. So a lot of what ESPN did was bring college basketball to the forefront. Um, and then you also had, um, you know, like golf was a big filler. I can remember being a small kid in Australian rules football was one of the major things on ESPN before Sports Center was on. In um, Sports Center was just a highlight show. It was like you could see highlights of every game because if you watched your local news, all you saw was the highlights of your local team. Yeah, and then you saw scores, but Sports Center. You could see highlights of everything. Right. And so it was different. And then in the late 80s, they got baseball. Right. And they got football. And then they got basketball. And now ESPN has got everything. And if you want to be a serious league, you've got to be involved with ESPN some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. They're the worldwide leader in sports now. I mean, that's not just those catch slogans. They are that. Right. Yeah. It's – and. They've built careers. They've built shows. They've built leagues. Where would the NFL be without ESPN? Yeah. Um, You know, people wonder why ESPN pays so much money for that TV contract. A good part of it is not even for live games. It's just for highlights. It's the highlights. Just to have those on TV so they can run those on a loop. I mean, just so you can watch, you know, some crappy show like Get Up, and be able to see footage of games from during the week while they're talking. I mean, they pay a lot that's of money for that. I mean, that's right. So. And that's, you know, that's why when they were making this last deal, ESPN said, well, if we walk away, you're in serious trouble. Right. You know, uh, so, I mean, yeah. on this too, by the way, just to clarify for the folks at home, we're saying past or present. It doesn't <laughs> matter if a personality hasn't worked there for, 30 years, doesn't matter if a show hasn't been on the air for 15 years, whatever it may be. This is all-time ESPN we're talking about in this draft. Bo, uh, last week I went first and you had the back-to-back, so we'll reverse course this week. You get to go first and I'll take the back-to-back. All right. All right. So to to remind everybody, we got to do two personalities, two 30-for-30s, two segments or shows, Two commercials, correct? Uh, two segment, two shows, two segments. Shows, There's segments, four categories. Yeah. 
and right. personality segment, 30 for 30 commercial program. Yeah, Actually, right. so that's 10 picks then, two of each category. Well, that's it's eight. I got personality segment, 30 for 30 commercial program. Oh, yeah, program separately. Okay. So that's 10 picks. Okay. Two of each category. I did have that. Okay. I got you now. All, All right. It doesn't both. change up my it doesn't change up my first overall pick. So that's All right. First pick all the I, draft, Bo, who you got? I'm with? going with a personality, and I'm taking Stuart Scott. Okay. I love Stuart Scott. Tell me about Stuart Scott. So Stuart Scott was kind of the first guy to bring, like, hip-hop culture to Sports Center. And if you can recall, if you're old enough, you'll recall that he was – it was like the Sunday night Sports Center was, like, the Sports Center. And it started off with Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann. Keith Olbermann left, and it became Dan Patrick and Stuart Scott. And Stuart Scott, it just he had a certain way of how he did, um, you know, how he did highlights. You know, guys shooting threes. He goes, and here's, you know, Steph Curry, cool as the other side of the pillow. These things that now people do all the time in their in their um, in their makeup and how they do things goes back to Stuart Scott and he was the best at it and he also brought like I said hip-hop culture in a way to ESPN and to where it was to where it was to where everyone now understood the references he'd make references to Tupac or Biggie or or whatever it might be and there was a coolness to Stuart Scott that there never was before and there never has been since on SportsCenter. People have tried to replicate Stuart yeah. Scott, and they have failed miserably. Like, yeah, there you just will only can't. be one Stuart Scott. He is, yeah, he, he's the he's the goat to me, and he's the one that made it cool to those. And I just, to me, that was the number one overall pick by far. All right. For me, my first pick, I'm going with a personality, too. I think he is the face of the network. He is the name that you think of first. And much like Stuart Scott, there was nobody like him. There will never be anybody like him. Um, some people didn't like him. I understand. But he was unique in his own way. Chris Berman. Boomer yeah. is my pick. First off the board. I love Chris Berman. Uh, I mean, NFL primetime, him and, T and, and TJ was one of the best shows ever. Um, the fastest two minutes, all yeah. of that. Chris Berman. I mean, and as much as we talk about the NFL side, his happy hour at the U.S. Open every year was incredible. Yeah. Um, the home run derby was awesome with Chris Always. Berman. Yeah. It's just phenomenal. I love Boomer. I love Chris yeah. Berman. I get why some people don't like him. He's not everyone's cup of tea, but he did things his own way, and he made it work, much like Stuart Scott. You know, Chris Berman was one of the original hires in 1979, and I think he's still actually technically employed. Doesn't he still do the two-minute drill he, on, he's, on uh, ESPN Plus? Yeah, he's doing primetime on ESPN Plus. Prime time doing on highlights ESPN Plus. on Monday Night Football, yeah. Yeah, and it, it, he is – if you get tired of him, it's because he's just been doing it so long. 
He's been on ESPN for 40 years. And I just, I think he's phenomenal. Um, you know, there are times, I think now I could probably stand him more than I did even just a few years ago. But you're right. There's also been no person at ESPN that could do everything. Right. Better than Chris Burke. Yeah. He could call games. He'd be great on Sports Center. He could do those other shows. ESPN has tried Swamp. Oh, the Swami back in the day. That's a segment right there. Um, you know, the Friday night picks. Yeah. Um, God, even think of that. Um, nobody circles the wagon like nobody, the Buffalo Bill. Raiders. I mean, we hear those things, and they're part of Americana now because of Berman. Yeah, I think if you were doing one and two, those are the two best ones ever. Yeah. And Berman, to me, is like a Swiss Army knife. He can do everything and does everything really well. Um, yeah, I great pick. I again, I'm a, I'm a fan too. Um, I didn't have him. I was picking Stuart Scott first, but yeah, I, I can't say anything bad about the pick. All right, my next pick. I'm going to take a show this time. Um, to me, you talk about Americana. This show changed a culture, and it is synonymous with the sport. It is part of the identity of the sport every week. College game day for me comes off the board. And, you know, the headgear with Lee Corso, uh, you know, Kirk Herbstreet's great. Um, you know, Chris Fowler did the show for years and did a phenomenal job. They go to Reese Davis and they didn't lose a beat. He was just as good as Chris Fowler was hosting that show. I mean yeah. – you know, David Pollack, Maria Taylor, you know, all these people, you know, Marty Smith's involved, Paul Feinbaum. I mean, and just the, the circus involved every single week of the crowds they bring in, the Washington state flag that shows up. I mean, it is iconic, Bo. Yeah. Number one for me on her show was also college game day. It is. It's a, it's a, it's an institution of its own now. And, and it's been great. Um, you know, they've been trying to replace Lee Corso for 15 years in that show. They still can't find anybody good. I mean, they just they'll never be able to replace that guy. Um, but it's a great show, and it does. The cool thing about game day is when game days come into your school, you go. It's a big deal when game days in your town. And it's a I mean, I know like here in Lawrence, it's a big deal when game day is here for basketball, but it's even bigger when it's football. You know, yeah. especially if you're the night game. I mean, if you're the night game, I remember going to a K-State Oklahoma game where it was like the the four, like a four o'clock game, and people were going to game day at 9 a.m., going home and coming back for the game. Yeah. You know, I went to um who was it? It was LSU and who did I go to? It was, it was LSU Alabama about five years ago. And game day was there. And I mean, we got LSU would get there early anyway, but it was the night game. And they're there all day. And game day makes it even bigger. So great pick. All right, Bo, uh, back-to-back picks for you here. Okay, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to go to the 30 for 30 space and get in here before I get beat on this. Because there's one 30 for 30 that stands above all of them. I think I know what you're going to pick. It's all about the U. I knew you would do it. The U. 
The U is the greatest sports documentary I've ever seen. Period. The U part two was great too. Yes, but nothing was as good as the U part one. The first, the, the U is so good. Yeah. And it, people will like, my son saw it recently and he was like, is that how it was? And it was like, yes, that's how college football used to be. Yeah. They were fun to watch. You either liked them or you didn't like them. Mm-hmm. And I loved them. I loved the old 80s Miami teams. Yeah. I loved the Jimmy Johnson teams. I thought they were great. Everybody else in my family is Notre Dame people. So I got to be the opposite of everybody. But the U represented that. And the U to me is what made 30 for 30. It was the best one. It's still the best one after all these years. Okay. Uh, good pick there with, uh, with the U. Next uh, pick. Okay. Um, I, I'm, ooh, I'm torn with a few of these here. I'm trying to think of what you would think of to get ahead of you. Um, I tell you what, I'm going to go, I'm going to go show here and I'm going to go ahead and take NFL primetime. Oh, um, and that was I on my people list. People now don't earlier, get, people now don't really get what NFL primetime was because now it's on ESPN plus. Primetime was around before there was in, in, even NFL Sunday ticket. That was how people yes. watched highlights. Yes, how you watched highlights. And it was Chris Berman, Tom Jackson, and they had their inside jokes. And they, they went through every game. You got to see the highlights of every game compacted in one hour. And Berman ran the show. And then you had, like, the inside, you know, the where the, you know, the, nobody circles the black like the Buffalo Bills, the Raiders. They always just, if someone did a highlight and the highlight was a player who played at Louisville, if Berman was doing the highlight, he'd say, you know, such and such player from and Tom Jackson would go Louisville because that's where Tom Jackson went to school. It was just stuff like that. And it was, it was in a different. And their chemistry was so good. Yeah. And it's a different time. And it wasn't a time where you didn't have all the access we have now. You didn't have the internet. We didn't have Sunday ticket. And it was absolutely the best way to watch all of it. You could see analysis. Tom Jackson was great at that. They partnered so well together. To me, NFL primetimes, the, it's the show that like inside the NBA is now based off of. Yeah. And I, as much as I like, um, I like inside the NBA a lot. But I think that it's even the primetime without that. You don't see those things. Mm-hmm. So those yeah. are my two. Okay. Um, next on the board for me, I'm going to take a 30 for 30 film. This is my personal favorite. I love the U, but that's not my favorite. And, and this might be the bias of me coming out of my where I'm from, but the best that never was, the Marcus Dupree 30 for 30. Yeah. We had Marcus on the show, actually. And we talked to him about this, and it's so good. And to see how far he's come after that movie, how it revitalized his life and the turnaround of him and the way he's viewed. I mean, even the story beyond after the film is what's incredible for me. I got to go with the best that never was. What a a great story that was on Marcus Dupree, Bo. It was a really good one. It it was. That's how good 30 for 30 has been. 
is that we're going to both pick different ones and none of them are going to be bad. Yeah. There are very few 30 for 30s that are bad. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, that's a great one. Yeah. Um, my next pick off the board, I am uh, going to go with uh, a commercial. Okay. I am going to go with the John Clayton This Is Sports Center commercial. That's a good one. That's a really good one. That's the best one by far. Rest in peace to John Clayton. One of the best to ever cover the sport of the NFL. Uh, he pulls out the, the hair. He's wearing the, the mullet. Slater yeah. shirt. Uh, that's just iconic. It, it, yeah. At the time, too, it was so funny because he was doing those sports center hits where we're like, where's he at? Like, what, what's going on here? And, yeah. and it felt like it pulled back the curtain of what we all really imagined of what those sports center hits <laughs> were quite were. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Uh, John Clayton was great on that. It was something because you didn't know. This was before the time like now where you have uh, people work from home, you know, and you could do things via Zoom and Skype and all those things. So it was before all that. And John Clayton lived in Seattle. So he was doing all his stuff, you know, via via satellite, for lack of a better term back then. And so, yeah, to see where they pull back and he he's in his bedroom and it's like a headbanger and this and that. Great, great commercial. I, I totally agree. Great commercial. All right, Bo, back-to-back picks for you. Okay. Um, man, I there are so many good ones here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go personality again. And I, I'm gonna take Dick Vitel. Okay. And I'll tell you why. Without Dick Vitel, college basketball isn't what it is. And what he did with all the stuff. And there's look, the personality wise, I can go 10 deep here, and none of them are none of them are bad choices. But I'm gonna go Dick Vitel because he was such a big part of ESPN, especially in the 80s, the 90s, and the early 2000s. And he was college basketball in those times. And that was such an important part of what ESPN was and is. Mm-hmm. Okay. So well, that went, means strategy wise, since you've taken two personalities, I can hold my last yeah. personality pick for, for very Yeah. Long. And look, there's like five other ones I could come up with that would be to me just as good. All right. Next pick after Dickie V. Who you got? Um I'm gonna go segment. And I know we talked about the swami earlier, and I like Berman. But I'm going to go to two-minute drill. Oh, fastest two minutes. The fastest two minutes. The two-minute drill um, was pretty awesome. And, I mean, it's still great. And Berman's great. And, again, it's the great way to it, – it's iconic. That's the thing. I'm just going to pick things that are iconic at this point. And that is. And it doesn't get any better than that segment. So I'm going to go with the two-minute drill. Okay. Okay. Very good. Very good there. Um, now for me, uh, on the board, uh, let's see, let's, uh, let's take another segment while we can, um, I'm going to grab this one before it goes away. It's, it's predecessor is probably more known, but the one that followed, I think this one is more funny and has caught on more to be a bigger deal. I'm going with the not top 10. 
Not top 10. The not top 10 is better than the top 10. Seeing all those bad plays and yeah. and all the screw ups. I mean, and to me, the not top 10 is uh, I'll take over the actual top 10, Bo. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, not, not a bad choice. Again, I, I think that we're not going to have any bad choices in here. You're not going to have any Stalin picks this week. No, no Stalin picks this week. <laughs> I don't know. Unless, you, Holberman, unless you pick something with Greenberg. Keith Holberman is still on the board. Hey, and, and he's one of those like five or six people you could easily take. And, and I would have had up there. I just took Stuart Scott in he my would top. Be, he him. would be the Stalin of this draft. I don't know. I, I like Oberman. And I still like Oberman. But I'm a liberal. So what do you want? So. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, let's see here. Next one. Uh, let's see. I am going to go with, uh, let's see. I'll go with another 30 for 30. Okay. And I'm going to do, I'm going to stay in the Oklahoma family again. I'm going to go Brian versus the boss. Okay. That was so cool to get inside Brian Bosworth and see both sides of him and tell his story to pull the curtain back that we'd never seen before like that mm-hmm. to find out he lives in Austin of all places too. Yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> his kid didn't know who he was. How does this kid not know who he was? Yeah. Google. Yeah. I mean, my, my goodness. Brian versus we talked about Bob. wasted talent. Remember we talked about wasted talent earlier? Yeah. The boss. He was, he hasn't been right since Bo Jackson ran over his ass on Monday night football. Isn't that true? All right. That was a pretty good one, too. Again, there's not gonna, I don't think there's many bad picks here. I mean, you got a couple of homer picks, which is fine. I mean, I'm gonna have one coming up for my next pick. So okay. Uh, you have the next picks here. All right. So I haven't done a commercial yet. And this is a total homer pick. But my favorite of all the sports center commercials is the Drew Brees traffic jam. <laughs> Where Drew Brees <laughs> has the after they want to step to the Saints won the Super Bowl. He's visiting the campus, and Stan Verrett, who's from New Orleans, is in the car, and he can't get through because Drew Brees is driving a Mardi Gras float. And he's going, he got to back up. I can't get through. The gate is narrow. <laughs> and so I have used the gate is narrow, driving in traffic many times. Um, it's a total homer pick. I get it. But there's no bad picks here, I think, and I love that commercial. It's the only time I've seen the Saints represented in one of those. So I'm going with Drew Brees in the uh, traffic jam. Okay. Okay. Next pick. All right. Um, I'm going to go program here. And this one you're going to give me grief about because I know you and I know we kind of disagree on this. This program's no longer on ESPN. It's a huge mistake. But I'm going with highly questionable. I like. The highly questionable era of Bomani, Dan, and Poppy. Yes, that's the best show of the daytime shows of all time on ESPN. Yes, yeah, I agree. But then once Bomani left, and then when Poppy went part time, that show was yeah. terrible. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Levitard. I like Bomani. I mean, Bomani was the other personality I was considering, other than Vitale. But I wasn't going to pick HQ and Beaumont. Um, I love Beaumont's show on HBO. I think it's great. I'm glad he got renewed. 
Um, I love his podcast. He's the one podcast I listen to every time it comes out. I'm a big fan. Um, I listened to the Lebertards podcast. Um, HQ was great. Poppy was great. You could put Poppy on personality. Yeah. You could put, I mean, there was so many there. Um, and we could talk about that after the fact, but I'm going to go with HQ because I was a big stand for HQ. It's by far the best thing they've ever done on the daytime shows. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good choice. Um, all right. So I got back to back picks here now. Um, I'm going to pick another commercial. I feel like I'm, I'm stealing this one from you, Bob. I'm going to go with three left here. I feel like I'm stealing this commercial. I think you were going to take this. I'm going to go with Peyton and Eli beating each other up in the sports center hallways. That one was so good. And it was, yeah. it was so easy. They didn't even have to script it. It's like, okay, yeah. we're getting Peyton and Eli and Archie. We know what we're going to do. This yeah. Is- you got Archie and Olivia is why if you got Cooper there with them, it is one of those three on my list. Yes. And I, there's three of them that I could have chosen any of them and been fine with. Um, and I don't know if I would have taken it, but yes, the Manning Brothers tour of Sports Center is great. And, the other uh, one that as that I thought about that I don't think it's talked about enough when Scott Van Pelt tries to go to Tony Romo's party. Oh, I yes, <laughs> yes, that's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. feel so bad for Scott, but it feels so on brand. Yeah. All right. So I've taken two commercials now. Um, I need another segment, another 30 for 30, and another program. Uh, You got two 30 for 30s already. Oh, yeah. I already have a 30. You're right. You're right. You need a personality, a program, and a segment. Okay. Um, I am going to go, let's see here. Let's go program. And I am going to go with. The original debate show, still on the air, iconic PTI. That is still to this day the number one rated sports show on television. I know everybody loves to talk about first take or undisputed or any of that. None of those shows would have existed without PTI. And it was civil discourse. Both Will Bond and Tony had a conversation. It was fast-paced. It was enjoyable. It was listened to. They didn't yell at each other and scream. It's the way that TV was supposed to be done. Yeah, I yeah. admire PTI. I, I'm not even a huge Will Bond fan. I'm more of a Kornheiser guy, but I loved the format of the show, and those two had great chemistry, and they still yeah. do. It was PTI that led to things like HQ, that led to all the others, the, the, all the what they now say the embrace debate stuff, which I don't like any of the stuff they have in the morning now. Get up, all that stuff. Anything with Mike Greenberg, to me, is horrible. I don't watch any of it. Um, But you're absolutely spot on. HQ is just as good today as it was when it first came on 20 years ago. PTI, yeah. PTI, I'm sorry, PTI. And Wilbon and Kornheiser have been great all these years. And, And Kornheiser, they tried to put Kornheiser on Monday Night Football, and it wasn't great. And, you know, it just kind of is what it is. But, um those two together have a certain chemistry that you just never see. And they were the first to do it like that. So I agree. It's a great choice. Okay. Uh, Bo, you have uh, two picks here. Okay. 
Um, we both still need a segment. You got all your 30 for 30s. You got all your commercials. I need one of each. I need a personality and a segment. Yeah. So I'm going to take a segment. I'm going to go old school off of um, Monday night pregame show and go with the jacked up. Oh, you took my pick. Jacked up was the best. I love jacked up. You know, such and such gets hit and he goes, here's such and such gets jacked up. And it, was, it was the NFL it now, that made them get rid of jacked up. Yeah, it's the, the rules have all changed, so you can't have that segment anymore. But Jacked Up was great, and it was a great fit for the Monday night, Monday night pregame show. It was because it got you ready for the game. It was a great segment, so I'm taking Jacked Up. All right, very good. All right, on the commercials, I'm going to go commercial. Okay, so you took the Manning Brothers tour, which was one of my three. Um, I'm down to two, and I can't decide which one I want. I'll tell you which both of them, and I'll let you, and I'm going to decide which one. I love Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter, with the Florida Gator. Yes. Crikey! And he, he coming, the big one, he's coming at the, you have uh, the gator coming out of the uh, out of the elevator. I love that one. And the other one I like is just classier, and it's when they are in the, um, they're getting, they're in the lunchroom. And Arnold Palmer is making an Arnold Palmer. <laughs> and everybody's shocked. Like, and everyone stops and watches Palmer put the tea, the lemonade, the tea. Uh, I think I'm going to go Arnold Palmer. Okay. Because I like that. It's just so understated. And Arnold Palmer, Arnie was cool even in his 70s. He was cool. And so I think I'm going to go Arnold Palmer making the Arnold Palmer. Okay. So you got jacked up and Arnold Palmer. That's pretty yeah. good. Um, so I have two, my last two picks here. Yep. Okay. And I got um, one. Personality here. Um, I think he's the greatest sports center of anchor, anchor of all time. Um, he was the guy I looked up to. And one of the reasons why I got into this biz, handled, always handled himself with class. So funny. Could do it all in every way, Dan Patrick. Yeah. Um, you are not going to find anybody, Bo, that has a negative thing to say about Dan Patrick. No. Um, Dan Patrick is universally loved. I mean, yeah. you're going to find people that don't like Chris Berman or don't like yeah. Bob Costas. You'll find people that don't like Mike Tirico. You know, what yeah. I mean, like, no one has a negative thing to say about Dan Patrick. He has been the gold standard in this business. His radio show, was the best radio show ESPN radio's ever had. His his editions of Sports Center, he and Keith Olerman were the best sports centers that that network's ever had. He was the best anchor. I mean, everything Dan Patrick did was was excellent. Yeah, Patrick was Patrick was great. Dan Patrick and Keith Olerman on Sunday nights, he used to call it the big show, was the best. It was the best. Um, and then when uh, he when Oberman left and Stuart Scott getting it went in. It was just as good. It was, it was great. Patrick's great choice. All right. There are no, there hasn't been a bad choice yet. This draft. My final pick. Um, Screw this one up though. I would be shocked if you don't like this pick. Um, When it comes to segments, this is iconic. And it goes back to one of my earlier picks uh, in relation 
I got to go with headgear picks on college game day. I mean, you talk about iconic. Everybody is curious. They might not watch all three hours of game day, but everybody turns on for those final two minutes to see what Corso is going to do this week. And if he's picking your team, sometimes you're hoping, oh, I hope he doesn't pick my team because he's got a bad record or something. Or, you know, what's he going to do next? Is he going to be firing a gun or shooting a cannon? You know I mean? You just never know. That old man, even now, is still crazy and still does some wild stuff. So headgear picks for me, Bo, is is my uh, pick here. I think it's a great – I think, again, I don't don't think he had any bad picks. And – and on top of it, too, I don't think it gets said enough in regards to headgear picks. Everybody talks about Corso, but the guys on set, like Herbie is hilarious, his reaction, and yeah. sometimes getting involved. Dez, the guest picker. I mean, it's not just Lee Corso. It's seeing everyone else, how they react to his headgear yeah. picks, too. Yeah. yeah. All right, so I'm down to one pick. It's a 30 for 30, and I'm, I'm torn because I got three of them here. And one's two of them are homer picks, and one's a really just a really good program. So help me out here, Tyler. Pony Excess is one of the best ones they've ever had. That's a great one. Nature Boy yep. is one of my favorites because I love Ric Flair. And it was the first time Ric Flair was actually real. He actually told the truth. Mm-hmm. And I'm a huge Boston Red Sox fan. I'm wearing my Jerry Remy Fight Club t-shirt right now as we talk. Four days in October is iconic. What it did with the 04 Red Sox, they broke the curse, losing, you know, winning four games in a row to the Yankees. I think I'm going to go with four days in October, do a little bit of a homer pick and take that one just because it was, it was the breaking of the curse, the Bambi. Yeah. It was a lot better than the Jimmy Fallon movie on it. Yeah, you know, when they made that movie, because I've seen the story of that, that just kind of happened in the storyline because they made the movie during that season, you know, before. Right. But so they just happened to be like, hey, let's get this in. But the the, the 30 for 30 is so good. And it, it, it helps you understand what Red Sox fans were going through. It was like, I remember it. I, I remember it. It was like, Oh my God, we're going to lose again. And not to these guys, anybody but the Yankees. And then Dave Roberts steals the base. And then we win the next, we win game four. And they win game five. And they win game six. And you're like, holy shit, we might win this. Yeah. And they won it in game seven. And it's like, oh, we're going to win this. We're going to break the curse. And finally, after 80 years, the Red Sox win the World Series. Yeah. And uh, other ones, uh, the Fab Five was a great 30 for the great one. Yeah. Um, Pony Excess was great. Broke was another great one, I thought. Yes. Um, again, Nature Boy, I thought was great because they get in the re- I'm a wrestling guy, you know that. But again, it's the first time Ric Flair was ever honest on camera. Um, there's been so many. Uh, Chuck and Tito was another great one, which Micah Brown, who was the director, was actually on our pod, on my podcast. Yeah. Uh, that's a great story. And he does um, a great job on that. I just – we could do another round and still not make any mistakes. We could draft just 30 for 30 movies. Probably. 
Yeah, I mean, because there's so many good ones. And then, like, on the personalities, I mean, there are still people on there. Like, no one took Stephen A. Smith. Okay, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, no one took Stephen A. Smith. Or, like, I would have taken Bomani or Levitard. You know, you can go a little bit old school. I would have taken Peter Gannett. Yeah. You know, there's there's guys you could have taken. Um, you know, I mentioned the commercials already. The Honor Palmer, the the Manning Brothers too. You got me on that one. That was one I was definitely considering. The Swami. We talked about the this Swami was another there. one. Yeah. And, and it's just just so many iconic things at Sports Center and in ESPN and, and over time that they could have they did and, and there was really no bad picks. I wish Tom was in here because we could have. Having three of us would have made it even better because we would have had so more. To review, here are the teams. Yeah. Bo ended up with Stuart Scott, the U, NFL Primetime, Dick Vitale, the fastest two minutes, the Drew Brees traffic jam. This is Sports Center commercial. Highly questionable, jacked up, the Arnold Palmer. This is Sports Center commercial. And the four days of October 30 for 30. My team was Chris Berman, College Game Day, the best that never was 30 for 30. The John Clayton, this is Sports Center commercial, not top 10. Brian versus the Boss, 30 for 30. Uh, the Manning family, this is Sports Center commercial. PTI, Dan Patrick, uh, and headgear picks in college game day. So there you have it. That's our uh, draft this week. That was a lot of fun. That may have been my yeah. favorite draft so far. That, that was a good one. Again, I, I think I beat you, but I, don't, I think it's closer than it's ever been. <laughs> <laughs> I like both of our teams. Uh, Me too. I, I like. There's not a bad pick amongst any of them. They're no, not. No. Not we, we, we could have had, realistically, about six or seven good teams made in this draft. Like, we could have gone three more rounds. Yeah. And we would have – none of the picks would have been bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just that's how it goes in these things. And uh, the 30 for 30s get interesting because I do think there's a line where there's some that are good and some I just didn't find good at all. And it's just, it just, it sometimes it's the subject. I'll say this much with the 30 for 30s. They have earned enough of my respect that I'll at least give it a shot. I'll turn it on. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, think about this of the 30 for 30s. Rand University was great. Um, you know, the four falls of Buffalo was phenomenal. Requiem mm -hmm. for the Big East. Um, Fantastic Lies, um, Without Bias was good. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. June 17th, 1994 was good. The that one, one I just watched again like two weeks ago because it was on. I was at my office working late. It came on, and I remember where I was that day. That was a really good one. Survive in Advance was great. Um. You know, th th there were so many of them uh, that were so good and can't say enough. Anyways, we'll move on. Let's go ahead and get to our Big 12 breakdown this week. The Big 12 yeah. has a new commissioner. We'll tell you about him in just a second. But before we do, a little bit bigger news. Arch Manning, the prized possession of recruiting, is headed to the University of Texas. And he's already bringing some elite talent with him. They already had a five-star receiver commitment. We already know that Quinn Ewers is there and that he'll be their starter this upcoming year. But you add Arch Manning to the fold here. Bo, they're coming off a five and seven season. The jury's still out in Sark. But 
credit where credit's due. This was quite the grab by Sark to get Arch. And uh, it's, I mean, you can't beat it around the bush. This is a huge step in the right direction for this Texas football program. It is a huge step for the Texas football program. It, it puts them to being serious again. But people, and I'm one of them, have given Texas zero credit for the better part of a decade. And Arch Manning, say what you want to say, he's, you know, Cooper Manning's son and, you know, from that lineage with his two uncles and his grandfather. It's a huge get. And what it does is it's going to get players for these next couple of years are going to go to Texas to play with them, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And that's where they haven't recruited well. They've recruited fairly well on the defensive side of the ball. There's plenty of guys in the NFL who played at Texas who are on the defensive side. It's been the offensive side where they've got issues. And, I mean, they went and got Arch Manning. Um, it looked like this is what it was down to. I mean, we talked on my pod a couple weeks ago that it looked like it was down to Texas and Georgia uh, when it was all said and done. Uh, Alabama kind of played out their hand. They signed somebody else. And so they were like, they were out. It looked like Ole Miss and Virginia and LSU were all out there at the end as well. So it makes sense. Um, I think the one thing that didn't make sense to this to me is Arch Manning, you know, his father Cooper obviously was involved. They're putting a lot of trust that Sarkeesian's going to make Arch Manning a better pro. I yeah. don't know what track record he has of that. The question I have, okay, obviously, if, if you're Arch, you think that you're better than any quarterback out there, okay? Yeah. And he's earned that right to feel that way. Yeah. But in reality, Quinn Ewers was given the same ratings that Arch Manning was. Yeah. Does Arch Manning – I mean – you don't – if you're Arch Manning, you don't go to a place, at least I don't think you should anyway, with the intent of, oh, yeah, I'm going to redshirt a year. I'm going to waste a year just to sit and do nothing compared to when you can start for a 100 schools in the country. Does Arch Manning think that he's going to walk in there and beat out Quinn Ewers and be the starting quarterback? I mean, because it's twofold. Does he actually think he's going to do that? Or do you think he's actually prepared to redshirt? Like, why, why waste a year? That's where things don't add up on this decision for me. I could see him saying that he wants to redshirt a year um, based on this. The school he goes to in New Orleans is a private school, and it's actually only a 3A school. So he has not played the greatest competition in high school. It's not like he's at one of the biggest schools in the city of New Orleans where they're playing all the best players. Um, the school he goes to is not, they're a multi-time state champion, but it's at a lower level. It's like a three, a school. And so he may be saying, well, maybe I need a year to be ready to play that top level of player. Um, I don't know that he needs to, I mean, he's obviously he's been at the mass Manning passing Academy all these years. You know, he's obviously gone to seven on sevens and all the other stuff these guys do in the offseason. So he's played with top-notch talent and against it. I, I, I don't know, but that would be the one thing I could think of. 
I think in the end, he just wanted to be different than his dad and different than his rest of his family. I mean, you know, that was something that was big for Peyton. He went to Tennessee. You know, Eli followed his dad and went to Old Miss, which was where Cooper, uh, Arch's father, went to. You know, I didn't see him going to LSU, you know, the, the one big in-state school. I, I thought it was going to come down to Georgia and Texas, and I think in the end he went where he thought he's going to get the best coaching to improve his NFL odds. And, and maybe that was it at, at Texas over, over Georgia. Personally, and again, I don't know the whole situation. If I was down to those two schools, I probably would have taken Georgia. But I don't know. He, he knows something, and the Manning family feels comfortable with it. If they didn't feel comfortable with it, he wouldn't be going there. Right. So I did see an interview with Peyton where he was asked a couple nights ago about, you know, Arch's decision. He says, look, he said, I talked to Arch last week. He said, Arch called me and said, hey, I think I'm going to think I want to go to Texas. And he said, the advice I gave him was when you know, you know, and there's no reason to wait around. And I think part of it was he felt like that was the place to go. And who knows? With the transfer portal, what happens? Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And what I wonder, too, last year obviously <laughs> went terrible for Sark, you know, going five and seven, losing to Kansas and everything there. Yeah. Um, but now you bring in yours, who everyone's high on. Yeah. And you got Arch coming in. Um, how much more job security do these two quarterbacks bring Sark now? Well, I think it's quite a bit. It's hard to fire him before Arch Manning's your quarterback. And so, I mean, because he recruited him. But if he goes five and seven again, who knows? But that's the, the calculus that Texas would have to have. I mean, do they want to put up another five and seven, six and six season, you know, and, and lose Arch Manning? You know, there may be a part of that calculus that makes sense to them. Because it feels um, like that Arch is going there for Sark. It feels like that way to me, too. I think there's something to Sark. I don't know who the quarterback coach is there. I think that's probably part of it, too. I know that in, like, in Peyton's case, when he went to Tennessee, it was to work with David Cutcliffe. And, and Cutcliffe is at UT now. It, oh, it, oh that's, that's the big part of it. Though. Yeah, if, if David Cutcliffe's at UT, that's a large part of it. Because David Cutcliffe is who Peyton and Eli worked with in their off seasons. And it's who coached Peyton in college at Tennessee. I wasn't aware David Cutcliffe was at Tennessee. So if he's working with the quarterbacks, that's a big deal. And that's probably a big reason why Arch Manning's going. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I would right. imagine that's a big, big reason. Um, I wasn't aware of that. I'm glad you said that. You knew that because I didn't know that. The uh, Big 12 has a new commissioner. Uh, Brett Yormack is uh, his name, taking over to uh, lead the conference in its new era of adding four new members of Cincinnati, BYU, as well as Houston. And, uh, you know, the, this new regime that is uh, in place, this new era of Big 12 football with OU and Texas departing. His background is with Rock Nation. The uh, company, of course, owned by Jay-Z, the talent agency that works in sports and entertainment. Um, 
I don't know much about this guy. I'll be honest. You know, I, I don't, I did not know who he was before he was hired this week. It was an outside the box hire. Um, we did not hear Brett, your Mark's name come up at all. Uh, you know, the last couple of weeks when we were talking about candidates for this job, but nonetheless, it's an outside the box hire. The big 12, the biggest complaint we've had, this conference has not been forward thinking that they have always been reactionary. And the Pac-12, when they hired George uh, Kilkoff from BetGM, that was an outside-the-box hire. Um, and he's already made some drastic changes to that conference and how they're approaching things um, for the better, too. A lot better than Larry Scott. Um, like I said, don't know much about your, Mac, your mark, but I feel like that the status quo isn't going to be the same when you bring in a hire like this in the Big 12, though. Yeah, it looks like – so I'm reading a quick little article here because I didn't know much about him other than he was the co-CEO of Rock Nation. And it looks like he was also the COO, the chief operating officer. And it looks like what he oversaw was sponsorship, licensing, content, partnerships, and brand strategy. This is a very similar hire to what the Pac-12 is what it looks like. Um, And that's not a bad thing. I think it is an outside-the-box thing. It's a thing of saying, look, the Big 12, and the Big 12 is one of the two conferences, Big 12 and the ACC, that are going to come under fire in the next few years. And one of those conferences may not make it. So the Big 12 had to get somebody who can think outside the box, who has some relationships at different levels. We talked about it a few months ago. Maybe it was about a year ago when – the Pac-12 hired their commission, who was from the gambling, sports gambling world. And it was like, okay, again, why are you doing that? Well, you're doing that because you need to look at those, uh, that, how's that content work? How do we get that money in here? That's where the future money is coming from. I don't know that much about him, but from what I'm reading here, it looks like a pretty good hire. Um, yeah, I mean, if it's someone that you're looking at thinking outside the box, this is certainly not a uh, a Bowlesby kind of guy, right? You know, this which is exactly what the Big Twelve needs is someone who's completely opposite of what Bowlesby was. Yeah, Bowlesby was someone to come in and change the dynamic of the conference and to be forward thinking. Because if you're not forward thinking in college sports now, you are going to fall behind, and there is no catching up. Right. And the, the, the SEC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 are already out ahead in the race. Mm-hmm. And only one of those two conferences, the ACC and the Big 12, only one's going to survive when it all comes down to it. And the Big 12 need to make as big a splash as they could. Yeah. Yeah. And now we've seen within the last three years – all five power five conferences have made changes with their commissioners. Yeah. It is a new era, a new generation of how college football and college athletics at its highest level is going to look. Uh, and notice that none of them hired ADs. None of them hired college. Uh, the ACC did. They hired Northwestern's AD. Yes. But none of them went and got. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and you know what? They're the ones falling the furthest behind out of those five conferences. Mm-hmm. And they're going to the ones that are going to get rated next. And if you look, 
the conferences that made those hires said it's about the dollars because it's a big business now. Yeah. When you're talking about deals with ESPN, with what coming up now, we got deals with whether it's going to be Fox or CBS or whoever the big 12, big 10 makes their deal with, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars, four or $500 million. Well, dollars deals. One thing I'll bring up too, before we move on real quick is um, I don't think it's a coincidence that in the press release that came out, one of the very first quotes in the article that the big 12 sent out uh, talking about Brett Yormark is from the CEO and executive producer of Fox Sports, Eric Shanks. Um, the Big 12 has had an up and down relationship with Fox. They've been a longtime partner with Fox. And uh, they, I think the Big 12 needs Fox in this next TV contract. And I don't think that's a coincidence that quote is there. I, I, it sounds like that Eric Shanks and Fox want to work with the Big 12 and want to work with Brett Yormack, Mark, in uh, their future going forward. So something to I think just about. Saw the, I, I just now saw the quote you're talking about, yep. So um, also on the uh, Big 12 front real quick, uh, College World Series wrapped up just a couple of days ago. Ole Miss ultimately takes home the title, taking down Oklahoma two games to none. Sooners were not expected to be in that College World Series. And, you know, I mean, and really it was one of the most wild College World Series we've ever seen. Ole Miss was the last team in the tournament and, you know, had a below 500 record in the SEC. They ultimately win the whole thing. But as far as Oklahoma goes, um, not known for baseball as a program. They have bad facilities. Now they're about to upgrade, get a brand new stadium, got a brand new softball stadium coming. Um, we saw their softball team win the national championship. There are other athletic programs that looked really good. Um, now you got a new head coach coming in football wise. It looks like Oklahoma bow is laying the groundwork. They're doing the things necessary for this move to the SEC compliance might be a whole nother thing, but as a whole right now, Oklahoma, I, I like the direction all around, not just football, but all the steps of the pieces they're putting together, I, I think they're going to be SEC ready when that time comes. Yeah, it's you know you have to get serious across the board if you're going to compete in the SEC. It's what do we say? It just means more. It just means more. Um, but yeah, you've got to be ready. And Oklahoma's had tremendous success with their with their uh, ladies softball team, and you know another national championship. That's great. Um, you know, and then. Making to the College World Series a big deal. I mean, it's. I did see. Did you notice of the eight teams that made the College World Series, four were current SEC members. But when yeah. you include Oklahoma and Texas, six of eight mm-hmm. were SEC members. That's huge. Mm-hmm. And in a conference where I mean, Arkansas is great. This Ole Miss is now the champion. You know. Texas is a perennial. Texas has their own um, NIL uh, cooperative just for baseball. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to see what happens with that for Oklahoma. But, yeah, as far as inside the program, they are. They're coming up with bigger stuff. They come up with their new baseball stadium. They're, you know, they're improving their facilities. You got to 
if you're going to play with the big boys, when they say if you're going to run with the big dogs, you got to get off the porch. Yeah. And Oklahoma has done that. And I'm interested to see how it's going to work out when they put these divisions together. Because I don't think that, I don't think they're going with divisions. I think they're going to do a. Uh, I heard he may do this four division thing. I don't. But, since the new rule went down that you don't have yeah. to have divisions, I don't think they're going with divisions. Yeah. I think you're going to have locked opponents and you're going to yeah. rotate the others. And I think that they. Well, I think the thing also when they were talking about doing this four, it would have been a hell of a division to have A and M, Texas, Oklahoma, and LSU. You know, that would have been just murderer's row. Yeah, I think OU is going to get Texas, Texas A&M, and Mizzou, yeah. their former Mizzou. Yeah, and fellows. I think that yeah, and I think LSU is going to get two Mississippi schools in Arkansas. Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and uh, get to our Tom Fulry story of the week. Each week, we go somewhere crazy in the world, but when Bo joins us and fills in, we usually ask for his advice as the elder statesman of this show – uh, you know, he, he calls me the godfather, but he's really the godfather of, uh, of this. You know, we, we look to him, we turn to him when we uh, need something. And uh, he's helped me out a lot, too, uh, over the years. It's not just what happens on the air, but off the air, too. And so, Bo, uh, the people have questions for you. Are you ready to go? I'm here, Tyler. Let's see if we can do this. It's late, but we're going to keep this thing moving. Let's go. Let's see if we can solve all the world's problems in one second. Let's see. All right. That. This first question, uh, first email, is an anonymous email. This person oh. did not want to reveal their name. Um, this is Tom Bridges then, right? <laughs> well, I don't know about this one. This person <laughs> is a student at BYU. That's all we know. Oh. Okay. Here is how the email goes. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my email, and I'm a big fan of the show and wanted to get some advice. That's what we're here for. I am a student at BYU, and I think I found a loophole in the no sex before marriage rule of the LDS faith. <laughs> and I think I'm going to do this, but I wanna run it by you guys first. Step one, I plan to drive to Vegas with my girlfriend. Then we will get married and fornicate our brains out. Then we will get our marriage annulled and return home and be able to say that we did not have sex outside the bonds of a legally recognized marriage and the loophole is complete. Is this a good idea? Okay, got a couple questions. I'm not as familiar with the rules inside the mormon church how do they feel about divorce and annulment is that you know how does that work with that i believe that's frowned upon okay so my advice is what is the slogan for las vegas <laughs> what happens in vegas stays in vegas just go to vegas just do what you're gonna do why take the extra steps of getting married and annulled? That's going to be public record. Why open yourself up to that? I think these are silly rules in the first place. If you like someone and you guys like each other, you want to hit the bed, use the protection and go for it. I just think those are kind of silly rules in the first place. So here's my advice. Go to Las Vegas. What happens in Vegas 
stays in Vegas. Just don't tell anybody. Right. There is an honor code that school has that if you do fornicate outside of marriage, you could be kicked out of school. How they going to know? Don't say anything. I mean, like, Bo and I were talking before the show. Some of the worst, like, douchebags out there, the ones that talk about their sex life. Yeah. Just don't talk about it. Don't say anything. Yeah. Some should be private in this world. Yeah, you, we all, that, all know that dude. We all know that dude who talks about what girl he was with last night, last week, last month. Don't be that dude. In this case, look, people who like each other, they want to be together, they want to try it, go for it. I'm not here to tell you what to do. If you're that religious, why are you looking for a reach for the why you gotta do a go-around? You're either gonna believe in the system or you're not gonna believe in the system. You're gonna get found out if you do the get married and annul. That's public record. Why leave a bread trail crown here? A, a, a trail of breadcrumbs. Well, it sounds like that they're he's okay with that. Hmm. I just couple my thoughts. I mean, you know, <laughs> why leave a living witness? You know, <laughs> uh, quote the movie Heat. You know, you already killed two guys. Why leave a living witness? Kill the third. <laughs> um, yeah, if if your religion is that important, you shouldn't look for a goal. <laughs> But if it's not as important and that's more then this is more important, hey man, what happens if Vegas stays in Vegas? And if you go to Vegas and you do some crazy and you're the guy that tells on your buddies when you come back, you're a douchebag. Yes. Um here you go. I hope that helped. And I don't feel like it helped at all. If you're gonna go ahead and have a what happens in Vegas weekend, um try some uh Try some coffee. Try some hot drinks, you know, while you're at it, you know, yeah. and some beer. Oh, yeah. I mean, might as well go all in, right? Go all out. Go gamble and everything. Absolutely. I mean, you got to go all the way. You got to gamble. You got to drink. I mean, you know, if you're going to do Vegas, go Vegas. I mean, don't, you know, don't mess around with it. Be expeditions. I, uh, there's a girl I went to, went to school with growing up, Bo, um, and She's very much in the Mormon faith. Let, let me be clear. I'm not dissing on it whatsoever. Don't take no, this the wrong way. I have friends who are Mormons all. as well. I rep- yes. it, Yeah. We're not demeaning Mormons one bit. Just want to make it clear. Um, but she is now a Mormon missionary in Las Vegas. And I'm thinking to myself, again, no offense, is there a worse reason to live in Las Vegas than to be a Mormon missionary? When you said the words Mormon missionary, <laughs> I went full-time bridges from it. <laughs> <laughs> so there, I filled in for your normal co-host. And my brain went straight to Mormon missionary. Sounds like a really bad sexual experience. Oh God! Uh, but yes, I think you got a pretty good point there. It's a situation where, um, yeah, you're not going to get a lot of work in. You know, it just that would be a difficult, difficult sales job. She's a very sweet girl, very attractive, mm-hmm. um, but that's the path she's chosen. So, yeah, okay, more power to her. Yeah. Uh, next question uh, from the inbox. This one is from Adam. 
Adam writes, Hey guys, this is Adam. I'm a longtime fan of the show. Uh, I love listening. You guys are just as important as my morning cup of coffee. So recently, my bike was stolen after I locked it up outside the bus station by my apartment. It happens, and I actually was too shocked because everyone in my neighborhood rides a bike. The cops came, and they basically write a, wrote a report, but tell you there's nothing they can do about it. So fast forward to yesterday when I was walking to get something to eat and see a food delivery guy on my bike go right past me. So I chased behind him and followed him to the restaurant he's delivering for. I look over the bike to make sure it's mine, and it is. He comes back out and I just walk out. I'm debating whether or not I should just steal the bike back or confront him about having my stolen bike. What do you guys do, signed Adam? Okay, first off. I actually had a very similar situation to this. I'll tell my answer, but I want to hear yours first. Okay, so first off, if he's listening to the podcast, he's listening to your podcast and this podcast every week with his morning coffee, I would tell him to check out the Coach Bono's podcast released every Monday and Friday everywhere you get your podcast, including this one, here on the Studio Soapbox Network. Secondly, your bike got stolen. And thank you. And uh, so the food delivery guy, you confirmed it's your bike. Okay. Go First, that was the most important part. You got to confirm it first. Right. From there, I believe the term is you have to blow up the spot. It is time to rain fire. If he stole your bike and is using it for food delivery service, you got to take action and take action in a loud and proud way. After, you must confirm it's your bike first. But from there, all bets are off. And I would completely and totally blow up the spot. I'd make sure this guy gets fired. I would get my bike back. I mean, this is some like Debo from Friday kind of stuff. You know, you can't just let nobody take your bike. So if you got to hit the guy with a brick, take him back into his manager, whatever you got to do, bust his nose up, take your bike back, whatever it takes, take your bike back. But you must confront this guy. Because otherwise, it's going to be gone again. Debo's going to come back around unless you whoop his ass like Craig did in Friday. So you're saying it's not good enough just to go steal the bike back. No, you need to go confront his ass. and take. Oh, you got to confront his ass. You have got to let him know that you ain't having this. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not the guy you steal from. No, no, no. And, and may, you might save his life. He might have. He might find Jesus after you whoop his ass enough. Right. So that's why I would go with this. I bet you have a different solution. Okay. So this was my circumstance. Um, when I was living in Lawrence, when I went to Haskell before I went to KU, Okay. Uh, living in the dorms on campus. Bo, you've probably been over there. I've been there. I know where they're at. Yeah. 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 Um, I, uh, my parents were getting ready to take me home, you know, help me pack up my, my dorm and all that. And they asked me, you know, you've been riding your bike. I'm like, no, I'm not riding my bike. And they're like, you sure it's out there? And I'm like, I think so. And I go out the, after I get off the phone and I don't see my bike. I'm like, oh, that's not good. And uh, so I'm thinking, 
you know, one of two things like, oh, crap, my, my parents are going to be mad at me that my bike's stolen, you know, whatever, you know, that I didn't take care of it right. And then two, like, what am I going to do? My bike's not here. Well, then uh, I was walking around campus. I go to one of the other dorms and I see my bike. And I, I, like this guy, I confirmed it was my bike. I knew it was. So you know what I did? I took it. I never saw who had it, though. I just saw it was there, and it was unlocked. So I took it back to my place, loaded in my parents' car, went back home for the summer. I got my bike back. So I didn't confront the person because I never knew who it was. I never saw them, but I knew that was my bike, and I took it back. See, this is where being from Oklahoma is different than being from Louisiana. See, I would have got like three or four of my friends and been like, hey, we're going to wait here till this dude comes out. And if we have to wait here all night, we're going to. Because we're going to find this dude. He's going to pay for stealing my bike. Yeah, you just got to, you know, no, no. I let somebody know. Someone stole my car once. Whoa. I had a car stolen. This was, okay, so I went to K-State for my first three years of college. I transferred to University of South yeah. Carolina. I'm staying at my father's house that summer. And I'm getting ready to move. I leave for Carolina on like Thursday. On Sunday night, I had a softball game. My buddies and I had a softball league. It was our last game of the season. Afterwards, go back to my boy Scott's house. Oh, I'm sorry. We're at my boy Henri's house. And we had a big party. Drank a whole bunch. So I wasn't going to drive. Now, I was wearing my softball stuff, so I didn't have pockets for the keys. So I put the keys up under passenger seat woke up in the morning about 9 a.m go outside my car is gone and i'm thinking man these people are playing a joke on me because i'm about to leave my i was pissed i woke everybody up i what are you guys doing with my car what did you do with my car and they're all like no what are you talking about and i'm like quit being an asshole we're doing my car it took us about an hour for them to convince me that no one was messing with okay we call the cops i report the car stolen now, not only did I leave my keys, I also left my wallet in the car. Now, it was a poor college street. There was no money in it. And there was no, I had my ID, basically. I, this was so long ago. Do you remember when they had calling cards? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I had a calling card. So I moved to Carolina a few days later. About a month later, I get my bill from my calling card, which I had called and canceled. But I waited like a week to get it done. I got a bill for like $400. I hadn't used this car. And it's got all the numbers where someone had my card and they made all these calls with my card. So I just simply called the police and said, hey, you still looking for my car? Well, no, I really can't really find anything. I said, I'm going to fax you something. I'm faxing the stuff. They found my car a week later in a field in central, north central Kansas somewhere it had been burned up, but this guy had stolen my car and, and it was found at his grandmother's house. And he was using my calling card to call people. So this guy was so dumb, he left the trail of breadcrumbs to, to find him. Now, had I been in Kansas still, we would have found this guy immediately. We would have been like, oh, this is the number, this is the city, let's go find this person. Yeah. But... Yeah, you no, you're not stealing from me and getting away. 
Yeah. I love that. He ended up getting the guy. He went to jail. I never got my car back because the guy gets burned it up. Right. But I did buy a car for like half the money I got back from the insurance company. So that that good. There you go. Plus that car was a piece of <laughs> so. But uh, yeah, I, no, I wouldn't let anybody get away with that. So my advice to Adam is track him down. Blow yeah. Blow the spot up. Blow it up. We got to go. Uh, big thanks for ever Theo Harris for joining us. She was awesome. Uh, great debut on the show this week. Bo, appreciate you stopping by for uh, filming yeah. for Tom being part of the whole show this week. You, the listeners, well, for joining us. As always, subscribe to the show, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Uh, check us out, facebook.com slash studio soapbox, facebook.com slash Tyler Jones Live, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, uh, at studio underscore soapbox, at Coach Bo Knows Show, uh, Instagram, Tyler Jones Live, Jones underscore report. You can find us there, and we'll see you back here next week. For Brian O'Connor, Amber Theo Harris, and Tyler Jones, thanks so long. This has been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you next week.